Gambling is bad. This message is brought to you by DraftKings. So hello, Mel to all four quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This neat, this week we're out with the chaff and in with the wheat. It's only the creme de la creme and, you know, the Vikings. <laughs> so, hey, we've got Connor here. We've got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are you getting on, lads? How's tricks? How was, uh, how was Liverpool, Sean? Uh, yeah, it was good fun. Good fun. Five days we had. Um, the football match we went to see was not the best game of football I've ever seen uh, in Liverpool. Only because the Leicester def- one of the Leicester defenders decided to have two of the most calamitous own goals I've ever seen. Um, but apart from that, it was it was good. We we didn't really see much of Liverpool. We, there was kind of an area around the Albert Dock that we were near that's been renovated that was quite nice. So we spent a lot of time around there um, and a bit around the shopping district and stuff. We went to the Beatles Museum and did all the kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know there's much tourist stuff to do beyond that. It's just a nice city to kind of hang out in more than mm. going around trying to find stuff. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was quite good. Very good. Like uh, that, that area, like I've been in Liverpool once and it was fully like conference-sized for lack of a better term. Just like <laughs> this place is designed for conferences basically. Uh, and that's fair enough obviously for a city which has dealt with so much economic hardship. It's better to have something like that than to not have it. But uh, yeah, I think maybe as Sean said, it's not the ideal tourist city unless you're a Liverpool football fan. Yeah. Uh, at least you missed the next Liverpool game, which I think was uh, much less successful. Well, I was still in Liverpool, so we went to a pub to watch it around, surrounded by other Liverpool fans watching them play terribly against Brentford. For so yeah, it's it's been that kind of season where they you know win one, lose one, play terribly all round. Uh, transition season, as they say. Although transitioning into what is the question? <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, how how is your no your your now more senior status? Uh, how, how's that going for you, Sean? That you've entered the you've got a, a new start digit on your age. Yeah, the age the, the age we will not speak of. Uh, yes, it's a it's a strange. I will say that turning forty is a little bit more psychologically difficult than turning thirty was. I turning thirty was fine, but turning forty is definitely a, <laughs> it feels different. It feels like no longer being young. Yeah, which is uh, yeah. yeah. You can't lie to yourself as much when you're forty as when you're thirty, whatever anymore. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. How about yourself? It's how's tricks down in Cork? Uh, not too bad. Uh, I was actually uh, with Sean there at the weekend to celebrate the uh, big age that must not be named. Like to be <laughs> fair, Sean, you got the house, you got the well, if you very soon to be wife. So you know, you get, you did spend your thirties pretty well, I would say. So uh, you're not, <laughs> not doing too bad. Mm. Uh, but yeah, now time to settle into the, the armchair and. Uh, you know, while away the rest of the years, basically, <laughs> um, on something, uh, I don't know, semi-productive. You're basically half-retired at this point. I wouldn't worry too much about it. This. As for myself, besides that, uh, nothing too bad, just working away, uh, fully into the swing of things this week. And, uh, mm. yeah, obviously plenty of football to enjoy over the rest of the season, including uh, my team, maybe having one more shot, at least, uh, at the at the big big time. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see what your take on, whether they have a true shot at the big time or not. But, uh yeah, no, similar. I didn't, I didn't get up to a wild pot uh, over the weekend. Uh, yeah, I was unfortunately not able to make it down to Cork. I was on dog sitting duty while my sister-in-law was up in town. But uh, yeah, just everything is go, go, go on prepping for Sean's stag do. And 
Yeah, the, the I've discovered that the one of the suspension things in my car has gone banjack, so it's uh, going in next week to get fixed. So hopefully that gets fixed because I am the only person with a car attending the stag do, so everything must be transported by me. So uh, fingers crossed the car is not dead, but the guy seemed relatively positive that he'd be able to get it sorted, uh, given a day or two. So here we go. Uh, we'll swing in and have a look. As it was obviously. We the last week of the season, which means we've now got our playoff teams on the AFC. Kansas City take the number one spot, Buffalo two, Cincinnati three, Jacksonville four, Chargers five, Baltimore Ravens six, and the Miami Dolphins come in at number seven. On the NFC side, we have Philly in number one, San Fran two, Minnesota three, Tampa Bay four, Dallas five, New York Giants at number six, and your Ronan Seattle Seahawks slipping in at number seven. Uh, the NFL confirmed that the Buffalo at Cincinnati Monday night football game was Going to, that was proposed, that was postponed will not be played. Uh, the contingencies that have been put in place. Um, we won't go into the full details of what the possible outcomes were. We'll just go with what the actual outcome is here. So based on the week 18 results, uh, the only real contention was whether or not Buffalo or Kansas City would hold the number one overall pick, as Buffalo would have it if they won the game over Cincinnati that didn't get played. Right. So basically what they've decided to do is should Buffalo meet Kansas City uh, in the AFC championship game, that game will be played on a neutral field rather than being played uh, at Arrowhead. So the Chiefs can't have a home game in this instance if they make it to the championship game. Um, This is across a backdrop of Hamlin has seems to have recovered quite well at this point and continues to, to go on. So he's been discharged from the hospital, has returned to Buffalo where he's got an ongoing treatments uh but yeah like seems to be in great form has been uh has, has, has been speaking with the team helped motivate them too and we will discuss it later on uh, a fairly quick out of the gates um special teams run at new england um but yeah so the only other element i suppose from that is that chicago are now officially on the clock following houston's bizarre decision to just go win a game and lose it uh chicago have the number one pick now and they are going to have to decide what they're going to do with it that was actually mostly what we just spent the last couple of minutes before we came on air uh discussing but uh that's obviously more 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 discussion for the off season than it is for now but uh yeah exciting times any any big surprises here i'm sure ronan your guys getting into the dance is uh, is a little bit of a surprise for you yeah like look like their chances of making it beyond the wildcard round, I'd say, are pretty slim. We'll talk about that later on. But given this is a team that traded away its you know, star franchise quarterback in the offseason, was starting a guy who hadn't started in five years or so, was rebuilding from the studs up in terms of young players, filling in a bunch of gaps to get into the playoffs in your first year under that, then you have to consider that a huge success. And of course, because of all that influx of youth, it obviously gives a great foundation on which this team could re-emerge as a genuine NFC contender. So overall, very happy with that. Um, obviously, in the NFC things weren't that interesting beyond that obviously philly you know they managed to beat the giants backups and get the number one overall seed and after that san francisco were basically playing for not much minnesota were pretty ensconced in the three position and tampa bay we already knew were number four and dallas and the giants were basically stuck where they were as well basically uh so seattle really the big winners in the nfc uh, the afc though itself had some excitement there at the end as well yeah yeah, I was I was sad to watch my Pats. They finally got good, and I'll I'll talk about it in the game reviews. They finally seem to have figured out their season with two weeks to go, but not enough uh, in the end. They couldn't beat the the Bills. Um, I'm I mean I'm I I'm a little bit sad that the Lions fell short in the NFC. I'd rather see them in the playoffs than the, the Seahawks. No offense, Ronan. 
Um, no, I, but, I put... but other than that, it's kind of as expected. I, you know, very happy for the Jags. They they've got the they on a good run, and they've got they've got the home playoff game now, which is probably apparently the the game against the Tennessee was the the highest uh, attendance at that stadium ever. Which suggests that they might, but they might be close to a sellout one of these days um, if they keep. Being <laughs> the hot good. tubs were heaving, were they? <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. No. As I said, nothing, nothing wildly surprising here. I don't think. Um, like, well, Miami managed to sneak in. Hopefully, they don't make any silly decisions based yeah. on that, as you talked about. And uh, just to mention on Demar Hamlin, um, obviously, just to say, it's, all the news has been really, really positive since then. Um, obviously there was a quote going around that the first thing he said when he could communicate via writing was did we win and the doctors told him that he'd won the game of life which is an incredibly American corny thing to say but <laughs> yeah. to be fair given a guy's heart stopped twice I think he can you know they can get away with it in this case and, I'd uh, say they were just like it. I'd say they were just afraid of, of telling him that because of him the game didn't go ahead so they hadn't locked down the number one seed in case it sent him back yeah and to be <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, like it's not part of the game review, but you know the first part of the the, the first play of the Buffalo game was obviously a special teams uh, kick return touchdown, and apparently he jumped out so big that he set off alarms all over the hospital uh, <laughs> out of happiness, basically. So that's probably a good sign for his health going forward. And very good. Yeah, as a number one pick, Chicago, fair play to them. They're probably one of the teams that isn't going to go at quarterback, so a big bounty of picks may await them if someone's really desperate to get Bryce Young. Yeah. Um, so we'll have a quick look then. Obviously, the 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 day following, you know, the end of the last week of the season is normally kind of I think it used to be called Black Monday. The kind of the day when a lot of hirings and firings, mostly the firings, start to happen. So uh, we have a couple of changes on the coaching carousel. Uh, Houston have fired head coach Lovey Smith, and Arizona fired Cliff Kingsbury. Um, and with Arizona, they've also had Steve Kime and kind of stepped away for health reasons from the GM. So they're now officially in the hunt for a GM and a head coach and Houston on the hunt for another head coach. Um, we'll just have a quick chat about these two, I suppose. Lovey Smith, we said this going into the season. This is a Houston team that I don't think wanted to hire Lovey Smith to start with. I think they just got kind of badly caught out in a spot where they didn't, they basically couldn't really bring in an inexperienced white guy to be the coach, giving the backdrop of what was going on with other teams at that point and themselves. And I don't think any of us actually expected he was going to be given a fair shot at getting to be kept on because to be honest, he was getting performances, particularly out of the back end of the season. And we'll mention it in the game reviews this week um, out of a team that has absolutely no talent on it. Uh, and I think he definitely was deserving of being given another year, at least, if not two, and being given a chance to draft some some players and see what he can actually get going there. Um, but Houston continued to uh, to just churn, 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 churn. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's an organization, obviously, that is, you know, we've talked about this a lot, is a bit of a dumpster fire. And I wonder if the, the, the really top-notch head coaches are going to keep avoiding it because of that and because of the lack of talent. Um, obviously, with this draft pick, they might have a choice of you know a, a tasty rookie quarterback that might might attract someone in. But it's at the moment, it's not the most attractive job in the world. And yeah, we all kind of expected Lovey Smith wouldn't last. But it's hard to see how they're going to get anyone much better unless they give them give them a reason to come to Houston. 
Mm. Yeah, I think an interesting thing is that the, you know, the the reports about who's interviewing for you are all around there, and the set of people that they're currently interviewing are mostly much younger coaches, people like D'Amico Ryan's or Jonathan Gannon or Giro Vero. So obviously, it seems like they are after a couple of years of perhaps, uh, you know, waiting for the right the the right candidate to come through their door. I think they're they're ready to settle down and give someone more than one year's chance after firing Smith and Cully after one year. But like, you know, way the way those contracts were structured and the the age profile, I suppose it was we all kind of expected this. But it still is a bit of a dick move. But to be fair, Lovey Smith got one little uh, smack on the way out for the team. So uh, you know, he he certainly will probably go out feeling good about where he is. And I wouldn't be surprised if he'll certainly probably consider get work for DC work somewhere. But a HC job for Lovey Smith isn't either the question as for arizona obviously a uh, bit of a bet noir for myself over the years uh, cliff kingsbury yeah. um now that he's fired i'm obviously gonna be much more magnanimous about the whole thing uh you know, <laughs> to make myself retrospectively look better but like look i think like cliff kingsbury he just always seemed like a guy where the original decision was a bit strange a guy who had a uh, you know fairly up and down college career he was fired from his coach in texas tech he, he coached famously patrick Mahomes at college and, and whatever about that and he did have a good understanding of the type of system kyler murray wanted but you know while there was some success with that system it never really went there and you know his uh, basically completely hands-off approach with many other aspects of the organization probably isn't what they need so this is obviously a team where given they're hiring a GM and a head coach at the same time, this may be a case where they may be going for a more senior, uh, in the natural way the NFL is you react to what you have previously. So imagine the senior guy who has more NFL experience maybe where they end up going. But Arizona, you know, they're a team that tends to hire from within in, in terms of the front office. So don't be surprised if the interim GMs, um, one of them ends up being made uh, the actual GM. But that I think it'll yeah. come down to what the coach wants as well at that point. Yeah, and your problem, your problem with Arizona as well is like, so obviously... They've kind of they've got Kyler Murray there, but Kyler Murray has a relatively serious injury that might go into next yeah. year. And then your problem then is like, what do you do if you've got a already paid for you know superstar who, let's be honest, is people kind of fifty fifty about whether or not he's actually the tier that he's being paid in. But he's also going to be injured. So like, do you bring in a new? Do you draft to bring in someone? Do you bring in someone external to take over that role, or do you just kind of like? go in with one hand tied behind your back into your first season as a new head coach and you know like head coaches tend to get two rolls of the dice maybe three if they're very lucky but you normally only get two shots at it so I'm not sure if you were taking one of your two shots of being a head coach that you wanted to go in Uh, know knowing uh, you've got a franchise quarterback who probably won't be available for the first part of the year and it kind of feels like there's two directions you can go like the defense is very talent poor especially with JJ Watt retiring so you could mm-hmm. spend this offseason getting that defense up and bringing youth and and some some quality in there and kind of the offense let it like kind of let it work itself out since the offense there are issues but there is plenty of talent but the problem is that a lot of talent is veteran you're thinking guys like deandre hopkins or zach Ertz. are they really going to hang around for a year where uh, is going to miss multiple games and they're not really going to compete so it's a really tough position so i think that you know there's very 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 divergent paths that they could go down this offseason depending uh, where they're going. I think the Kyler Murray thing is settled. There's no way they can get out of that at the moment, but yeah. everything else in that team is pretty much up for, for grabs. Yeah, so the uh, the available head coaching jobs at the moment are Indianapolis, Carolina, Denver, Houston, and Arizona. Um, the the names that are obviously, a lot of them are always batted around. Former Owens head coach Sean Payton, although there is the caveat that you'd need to trade for him because I think the, the next two years of his 
contract rights are still owned by the Saints. Michigan head coach and ex-49ers head coach Jim Harbaugh, Dallas defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, San Francisco defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans, Detroit offensive coordinator Ben Johnson and uh, Frank Reich uh, previously of Indianapolis. Um and a couple of other little bits that moved around. Cleveland got rid of their defensive coordinator, Joe Woods. Tennessee got rid of their offensive coordinator, Todd Dennings. And Atlanta got rid of Dean Pease. Uh, uh, well, sorry, he retired as defensive coordinator. So those are all the kind of moving parts there. Uh, do we I want think... to talk about those guys at all? Or like, we have discussed the majority of these candidates previously, I think. And we will be doing them a bit more in depth as, as you know, stories develop. But... Yeah. I mean, I would just say that the, 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 con- the DC or LC up to head coach thing can be quite tricky. Someone like Dan Quinn, for example, who obviously kind of tarnished his reputation when he was Atlanta. Now he's kind of back in a DC role and is doing a lot of good things with the Cowboys. I think it would be against his interest to move back up. Um, mm. I think, I think, I think defense, the players, people who are good at the coordinator roles often should stay there rather than going up. It, it doesn't seem, maybe it's easier on the offensive side than a defensive side, but uh, if I'm a successful coordinator, especially if I've already had a shot at head coach, I'd be very wary about going back up. Now, it's probably a lot easier to say in, pra- in theory than in practice to say no to, to a job, but especially with those these ones available, pres- provide, presuming no one else becomes free. I mean, only the Broncos are really in a position to be competitive going forward. Every other team that we've mentioned has some problems somewhere in either in terms of talent or, or whatever. So I, uh, yeah, it's, it's not the, it's not the greatest selection of jobs available. So that's something to keep in mind as well in terms yeah. of candidates, people like Harbaugh, for example, may choose to stay in Michigan again. He doesn't seem all that, all that keen to jump right back into the NFL. I, 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 Harbaugh is the one where I could imagine Denver, with all with all that with all that money that's now floating around with the new ownership, just dump trucking money at him to come in. Yeah, I feel like Denver, you know, given that they're owned by the the, the Walmart family, the Waltons, like they can afford to basically pay the kind of contracts that guys like Sean Payton or Jim Harbaugh or even Dan Quinn might uh, desire at this point. And just to defend Dan Quinn for a moment, he did make a Super Bowl. I I get that it was one of the most embarrassing losses Super Bowl ever, but you know you still have to be a relatively good coach to make it there in the first place. I would say, uh, but you know I think. Denver, I think, will will swing for the fences. Obviously, given the position that they're in, they're kind of all in for the next couple of seasons anyway. So why not try and make this thing work with Russell Wilson? And obviously, the defense is good and hasn't and, and it isn't the problem. So you really just need to fix whatever's going on there. And Russell Wilson has looked better in the last two weeks under the new interim head coach. So it could have just been a Hackett problem. As for these other teams, like a team like Houston, as I said, are, are looking for younger, more up-and-coming guys. I would imagine similar for a team like Carolina, though they may stick with Steve uh, Kime after doing a pretty solid job down the stretch after a pretty disastrous run under Matt Rule. Indianapolis is probably one of the like, you know, out of these, Indianapolis is probably the coaching staff that I would be least optimistic about just because their situation is so mixed. They're, they're somewhat of a veteran squad, no quarterback. They've kind of been up and down. Yeah, I really wouldn't want to go there. Arizona is another one I wouldn't be particularly optimistic about. But, like, look, when you're a... When you're a uh, a guy who who wants to become a head coach, you're not going to get the pick of the litter usually. So someone will inevitably be willing to take the chance here and say that they can turn this around. Uh, but it just depends if you, if you believe the ownership is willing to give you an, a real chance to turn that around because those are probably multi-year projects. Yeah, yeah. And the fans of Cleveland and Tennessee, uh, from what I saw, are very happy about the respective firing of Joe Woods and Todd Downing. Uh, I, could, I don't I have much to say beyond that, but the, the people who like those clubs really like those moves. Yeah, like I, I can see why. To be honest, you've seen the Tennessee offense, like and the Cleveland 
Cleveland defense as well to a lesser extent. Um, let's look at some injuries. So some playoff relevant ones. Uh, Cincinnati offensive lineman Alex Kappa has injured his ankle. He's week to week, but he's not optimistic about making the wild card round. Miami running back where he mostered his. Uh, Broken slash fractured his thumb, uh, so he's week to week and unlikely for the wild card. They've also got Brandon Shell, their offensive lineman, is week to week, both very much not expected to be playing this week. Um, Baltimore running back Gus Edwards has a concussion, so he's week to week. Uh, the Chargers have Mike Williams, who initially they thought it was a more serious back injury than I think that it's day to day and he should be back. Joey Bosa is a core injury and he's day to day, and uh, linebacker Kenneth Murray has injured his neck and he's day to day. So they all be expected to be back for the wild card round. And Tampa Bay offensive lineman uh, Robert Hainsley has injured a hamstring and he is week to week. Um, so obviously you know Cincinnati O line has looked a good bit better of late. They've done some interesting scheming things to try and give themselves time, but it's still not something you want to be missing out on. Miami running back situation, they have a couple of bodies in there they can try and replace, but they were getting good explosion out of Mosert. Uh, Baltimore, Gus Edwards, yeah, similar story. The Chargers, everyone's going to be back, it sounds like, even if they're banged up. And Tampa Bay losing an offensive lineman, again, not 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 the best situation because they were getting some penetration against Brady the last couple of weeks. Um, so this will presumably only make it worse if he's not playing. Um, but overall, not the worst set of injuries going into, uh, into playoffs. Normally you see a little bit more uh, kind of knocks on guys going in. Yeah, like Cap is a loss for Cincinnati. Obviously, the offensive line has slowly gelled over the course of the season, and losing someone like him is a big issue. And uh, I'd have to double check, but I imagine the backup isn't particularly great. But we've seen Joe Burrow be able to play well uh, despite offensive line issues. So if he's back for the uh, divisional round, then I think they should be okay. I would still expect them probably to beat the the Ravens this week, as we'll talk about that towards the end of the podcast. Um, Miami, Raheem Mostert, that probably means you'll see more of Jeff Wilson. You might see Salvin Ahmed and a few other guys thrown in there. Similar with Gus Edwards, you might see more Kenyon Drake um, alongside J.K. Dobbins. The Chargers, the main thing is just to take away that they're fucking lucky because they were playing a complete scratch game where they couldn't change their playoff seating. But, like, we, we, we'll know, probably like, talk about the Chargers. Why were they playing all their starters I don't know. It's just Chargers going to charge. Like, and this is a guy who, a head coach who famously was one of the first to basically go, we're not playing anyone in the preseason, but apparently week 18, meaningless game. Sure. Like, let's risk Mike Williams and Joey Bosa picking up serious injuries. Why not? And the fact that he kept at it, even after these injuries picked up right until like the, the middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah. It's just it's a cautionary tale. A cautionary tale, I think is the best way of saying it, and they got away mm. with it. And as for Tampa Bay, Hainsey is uh, a bit of a loss there. I think he was playing centre for them. They, I think there is a chance that Ryan Jensen, their kind of Pro Bowl centre, could be back, which means that this would be less of an issue. But if he's not, then that just means we're shuffling for an offensive line, which is basically means shuffling the entire season, not making Tom Brady's life easy anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the only other bit of news I suppose we'll mention is, uh, I, was, I was unsure whether to put this in, Crime and punishment, but it's not technically a crime, but it is somewhat against the rules. So Bernie Kozar, uh, Browns fans will know him, he's kind of a Cleveland legend. Uh, he hosts the uh, the, the pre-show radio gig for the Browns games. Uh, he's now been fired because he, uh, like, you know, normally these gambling stories are someone gets caught out for doing it. He, he announced it on his radio show that he was <laughs> putting 19 grand on there. He played in number 19, if I remember correctly. So I think that's why he was doing that specific amount but yeah he was doing 19 grand bet on them to beat the beat the pittsburgh uh they they didn't win obviously he's i don't know if i think it was afterwards he came out and said that he was just going to donate it to charity like it's one of the it's one of these weird ones because like this is 
Ohio is as it's now legal in Ohio. So he was kind of doing it as this like, oh, it's one of the first legal bets placed. Like he's not a like. This seems a bit mad to me because like he's just he's just a small like a small scale pre game radio presenter like. Like there's, there's no impact he has on a game here, and this is clearly just a bit of a, a a fun thing like for for them to do. Like it's dumb, but it seems weird to me that you're firing people over this. Well, the rules are the rules. Like the rules are in place to protect against certain kinds of uh, corruption or or you know what whatever. And I mean, it's just it's as with any rule, it's always going to be over prescriptive in some direction. And, and obviously, you know, catching out an announcer is probably not the way the rule was designed for. But it would be difficult, I think, to to change it to to prevent those kinds of things. So it's just it's just one of those things that happens, you know. Um, and uh, it's probably better that there are rules against gambling than, you know, not, would be my opinion. Gambling is bad. This message is brought to you by DraftKings. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, yes, but... there is some hypocrisy there. I will I will wow. readily concede the NFL is not a paragon of virtue in this regard. No, like, no. yeah, like, like I've talked in the past, like when players like Calvin Ridley have done it, like there's actual issues there, but, you know, for a radio presenter... Yeah, it's pretty much a non-story, I would say. Yeah, like in the in this area, I find out that the janitor who happens to clean the stadium has put a bet on. I don't suddenly go, oh Jesus, well he's probably fixing the game. Like the just, janitor will probably have more of a chance of having. In fact, he could like leave the make, floor some, wet make someone trip the locker on, room yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like make sure that someone slips and so the the running back can't make it or something. But uh, but yeah, sure. Look on that on that lovely cheery note, we'll move over to the games from last week. So first up, uh, Tennessee at Jacksonville, the battle for the AFC South, 16-20, to 20, a late Allen fumble recovery touchdown uh, just secures the AFC South for Jacksonville. Lawrence had, a f- I, I'm going to say less than his more recent performances have been. He had 212 yards, a touchdown and a fumble. He overcame an early fumble to have like an okay game and overturned a 10 to nothing deficit while they weren't getting much on the ground, uh, but it was, you know, their defense and so it's like their special teams that kind of got the job done. They had a fumble, they had an interception, four sacks and eight tackles for a loss. Um, Dobbs looked a little bit better uh, in this one, I think. Like he was 211 yards a touchdown, interception, a fumble, so not great. Um, like Henry, it's kind of it's kind of a, a walking example of what the problem with this incredibly boring Tennessee team is as well. Is that like they're still forcing and getting the performance of. You know, previously it was every time Henry got over 100 yards, they won 90% of the games or whatever. And now it's like, well, the last couple of ones, he's gone over 100 yards and they've not won any of them. Uh, now, obviously, look, there was it's not fully Henry's fault, but this is a team that's built around him. Um, so, like, it's just he's no longer the leading indicator he once was for him. So, Jacksonville, great to see this happen. As you mentioned, Sean, big attendance at the game, very a lot of excitement in the area, huge turnaround, massive middle finger to... To, to, to Urban as well, which is always a nice thing to see happen too. Um, my slight concern would be Jacksonville didn't look as dynamic in this game as they have in a couple of the ones more recently. And very much in this game, like it could be playing down to opposition. It could just be it's the AFC South, so it has to be a sloppy kind of bag of poop to finish it up. But like this... The, both teams in this looked like they were just setting themselves up to get the shit kicked out of them next week, regardless of which one won. Jacksonville were slightly better, but like this was not the Jacksonville of last week or the week beforehand. 
and I'd worry about them going into the playoffs now. But I suppose you got the win, and that's all you can do. Yeah, I, there are some caveats is to regards to how good this Jaguars team is. I mean, it's worth remembering they were three and seven at one point this season, and and kind of playing like that. And this is, I mean, an incredible streak to start the season. You know, to to overhaul a four game deficit over the Titans and to be clear winners of the division in the end is, is great. And kudos to Doug Peterson on the coaching job. Kudos to the GM Trent Balky on his recruitment job. I mean, you know, you think about. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Engram, these have all played, you know, have all been integrated well and become a big part of what's going on. They've got some great pieces on the defensive side. I really love watching Trayvon Walker quite recently. So there's a lot of good stuff about this, but this is not a an elite team. I think that's important to put on. We we could talk about Lawrence having a much better second season than first season, but you know, he's not the most explosive quarterback in the world even when he's playing well. He's he's very accurate. He's he's good at kind of managing games when he doesn't fumble the ball, when he doesn't have the kind of bad reads that he had for the missed Zay Jones touchdown early in the game. Um, he's quite, he's good at, at kind of, you know, managing drives and getting the team down the clock. And he's got a lot of pieces around him that allow him to do that. Really the only explosive, really explosive superstar, perhaps caliber player on this offensive side is, is Travis uh, Etienne or Etienne, however he pronounced it. But yeah, they're, they are a team kind of like in, in the, the New England Patriots more a little bit. They are tend to be a little bit too much of a field goal team sometimes uh, and and in this game again you got to talk about maybe nerves etc like this was this was a really big game for a team that was quite bad not that long ago so it is to be expected they didn't perhaps play their best ever but they do and we'll get into previews they do have a challenge in winning the game against the Chargers next week. But for the moment, it's just about to celebrate what's going on. They've got a, an offense that, that's clicking on a certain level. They've got a defense that, uh, albeit it's, I mean, it's got some weaknesses on the run side of the defense, which again could be a problem going down a stretch in the playoffs. But they've got Trayvon Walker, who's he's either sacking people or he's disrupting the line enough that someone else can make a play. This They are they're have a lot of turnovers in them, but they're also getting a lot of big plays in terms of the sacks and the such like. So there's a lot of stuff to love about this Jags team. But yeah, don't go thinking that they're going to win the Super Bowl or anything. But they're definitely going to be, they're definitely better to have than the Tennessee Titans. And they're certainly a hell of a lot of better team than they were even, even uh, you know, two or three months ago. In terms of the Titans, I mean, it's the opportunity that, that goes away. They lost seven straight, yeah. um, which is which is not a good look. Obviously, the problems are the passing game was just terrible all season. I think they came 30th in the league in passing. Um, and it wasn't just, obviously, the Dobbs and, and Malik uh, Will's problem. I mean, Ryan Tannehill contributed to that as well. They've got to fix that, as you say, with Henry seeming to be in decline or maybe not quite the explosive player he was for the past few seasons. They're going to have to get something else going offensively if they want to be all that impactful going forward because they, they have a really good coach here in Vrabel and he, he's built a really good defense, especially against the run. It's a very Vrabel defense. It's kind of, you know, you know hard smash-mouth kind of stuff. And on the offense side they were controlling the clock early that they were in control of this game Dobbs was having a decent game Woods was getting a, a few catches but this team just doesn't really have the talent if Derrick Henry is not doing the business on the offensive side to make a lot of damage so the Titans you know we're not sorry to see them go and hopefully Vrabel holds on to his job I mean I don't think he's in any real danger but losing seven straight is not a good look regardless of who you are um, so the Titans have got some questions to answer and for the Jags it's it, you know, I'm happy to see them there, but I'm not, I'm not overstretching myself in terms of how well they're going to do 
Um, they have a chance against the Chargers, but after that, they're going to run into some serious troubles in the AFC. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent, this this game felt like Tennessee trying to turn the tide. Like I do think, like this year, Jacksonville making the playoffs is maybe one season earlier than a more normal season would have went. But Tennessee just down the stretch have been absolutely devastated by injuries, particularly on the defense, where I think they had eight or nine starters out at some point during the last two months of the season. And even with some of those guys back, and I think they definitely made a difference in why this was a close game. You know, the fact that they're putting out there Josh Dobbs instead of, you know, Ryan Tannehill makes a bit of a difference. Now, Dobbs was much better than Malik Willis in the few weeks he was the starter, but still a guy who obviously looks more like a, you know, high-end backup than a starter, like a future, you know, starter. He doesn't look like the next Geno Smith. Uh, let's just say that. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, I think, you know, for Tennessee, they have a solid formula and it's a formula that has worked for them for obviously multiple years including at the number one seed last year you know run the ball with henry control the clock have solid to bend don't break defense but i think the injuries just over the last bit have have have, have come in and in this win or die situation while they did come really close and you could very much tell that this is a team that took the entirety of, of last week off to basically prepare exclusively for this game when they pulled starters um, either officially or by saying that they had injuries in inverted commas, people like Henry were injured last week, um, that this was the entire focus of them. And when you have a head coach as good as Mike Vrabel, then, you know, in that basically playoff type situation, you would expect them to put together a game plan um, against the team that Jack- Jacksonville, which isn't doesn't have the same kind of superstar quality as some of the other AFC contenders to make their life difficult. But to be fair to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it kind of started tough for them. This was a game where obviously there was a pretty bad play. Um, I believe it was kind of a, a pitch play um which was fumbled by, by the running back it really was uh, mostly lawrence's fault to be honest um and obviously that put them in a tough position and to look like the titans were gonna you know creep into or 10 nil up at some point and just grind this game out and kind of you know make tennessee the relevant team uh, for one more year because obviously the trajectory of these two teams is in completely opposite direction tennessee are a very much a veteran squad with not that many great players coming through jacksonville are team teaming with young players who are nowhere near the potential yet but it looked like tennessee might be able to hold on and kind of hold that tide back but they weren't able to do it because you see the kind of difference in dynamicism between these two teams uh, you know with without the injuries like Jacksonville like Lawrence yes it wasn't his perfect game but you still saw flashes of the type of explosive person he is Christian Kirk has been a great uh, like a, a great catch for them in the offseason that's a that's a pick week like I sorry pick up in free agency we all kind of made fun of and has turned out pretty well for them I would say and even when Etienne was held in check, he still, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on Lawrence. Those are the kind of games where he would have failed earlier in the season when they lost five in a row. But I think he's made that step up. Doug Pedersen has inculcated a confidence in him and kind of got him up to the level where he looks like a franchise quarterback. Is he going to turn into what you thought he was going to be when he's picked number one overall and was going to be the next Andrew Luck? Maybe not yet, but, you know, at least I think he's on that right trajectory now after obviously having a horrible first season under Urban Meyer. So I think, you know, they stuck in there, they didn't wilt, and then they slowly worked their way back uh, on the offense. But really, the defense and the special teams did a huge amount of work here. I think they had uh, nearly uh, a 50-yard average from the punter. It's very exciting type of stuff. They had a number of long returns, and then the defense made the key plays when it mattered. Um, there was a big stuff of Derrick Henry on one of the three and outs. 
um, by Trayvon Walker, obviously the number one overall pick, a guy who's not talked about much despite that, uh, you know, draft status. And then, of course, the fumble touchdown where Rayshon Jenkins um, came in and he's had a really good season. He has a couple of really big games this year. He, you know, got a Dobbs arm while he was throwing. He fumbled the ball. And Josh Allen, who's obviously an athletic freak, picked the ball up and took the scoop and score uh, run in for the touchdown. And then they had to hold out for one other drive and, and Tennessee went out and downs in that drive. And they just got the job done. So I think, you know, considering where this team could be a year or two from now, you've got to be really, really excited. But the fact that they've got into the, you know, got into the tournament maybe one year earlier than they might have got to if Tennessee hadn't collapsed and had all those injuries, you know, I think that's the kind of fill-up that means that everything could accelerate and get really exciting really fast. Um, and I think you really have to do a shout-out to Doug Pedersen, who has turned the team around 180, you know, from first round pick into the playoffs. And, yeah, like, I think it'll be tough for them to go all the way in such a stacked AFC but you know this is a team that's growing into something that could be potentially interesting Tennessee unfortunately you know they're probably looking to the darkness Vrabel's a great coach uh, but you know with them firing John Robinson for whatever reason and, and some uncertainty therefore I think in terms of the ownership stuff um, I think he, he'll have a challenge to keep this team where it has been the last three or four years um, so tough times ahead for him but you know a good offseason get them turned around but yeah mm. I wouldn't be that optimistic for them I don't think there's one season off turnaround i think this is a rebuild studs up kind of thing um but yeah we'll talk about that in the offseason pods uh next up detroit at green bay 2016 this was our late game unfortunately there wasn't quite as much on the line because detroit were not able to uh make it into the playoffs with a win here given that the seahawks had won earlier but that didn't stop them bringing their a game they uh decided to stop green bay from getting into the playoffs and that was all they wanted to do they pulled everything out of the book uh, hook and ladders, fourth downs, blitzing Rogers. Um, they just went to absolute town it, and it was uh, fantastic. Like it was all field goals in the first half, six to nine. Goff had an all right game, went over two hundred yards. But like you saw, just the one thing that struck me particularly in this game was just how good the Detroit running game was and how physical they looked at all times. So I think Williams had seventy-two yards and two touchdowns. Swift had eighty-six yards, but they were just like inventive uses they were doing kind of toss plays they were doing kind of cracks they were doing kind of like yeah it was just about five or six different ways of running being just put out there all the time it was it was just beautiful to watch it felt much more older school football than uh, than i was expecting to see and their defense interception fumble two sacks three tackles for the loss rogers like this is what i said last week as well rogers was being supported by his team rather than him particularly playing massively well in this one he had 200 yards a touchdown and interception uh they were inefficient so they were settling for field goals pretty much the whole time uh it just it just wasn't clicking right for them and detroit did a pretty good job on their defensive because one of their weaknesses has been on the ground and they kind of said look we're going to try and slow them down there and uh, they did a good job on it um yeah, it was it was it was a phenomenal game from Detroit, a real statement within the division, a big step up for them to go right. We're at Green Bay, we're going to fuck them up, we're going to make sure they don't make the playoffs because now it runs through us instead of through Lambeau Field. Uh, and yeah, I I loved it. This was a great team who had a great season, and this was a fantastic little cherry on top. Yeah, and like when you think about this game, you think about vibes you know a word that's kind of went to into the lexicon in recent years for more wider usage and it's just like the vibes of this detroit team despite the fact that they were eliminated earlier uh, by seattle beating the rams it was still looking like a team that was like 
fuck, I don't really give a fuck. We're here to beat up the Green Bay Packers and stop them and basically probably um, knock Green Bay out of the playoffs in what's probably Aaron Rodgers' last Green Bay season. And, you know, when the chips were down late in this game, they didn't just, you know, play hard. They started playing crazy. They started playing Dan Campbell football. Like that hook and ladder play um, was absolutely like look at that. With, it's like a hook and ladder. Obviously, traditionally is a deep uh, pass play. You 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 throw it up deep, and the guy punches it down to volleyballs it down to someone else, and and they go in uh, on untouched usually after that. Um, but this was like a behind, like at the line of scrimmage hook and ladder where basically he passed it out. Uh, I think to Amon Ross Brown. He pushed it back at the line of scrimmage to DeAndre Swift, and then he just went down for a long gain. That's the kind of shit that they were just pulling out at the end here because you know they didn't have anything to play for. So I suppose we certainly said they could play freely and just you know do what they needed to do because there was nothing on the line and they went for on fourth down on that same drive and they got the uh, touchdown sorry they got the field goal when it mattered and got ahead in this game and you know Green Bay, on the other hand, just looked a little bit stiff. They kind of reverted to what we kind of saw in the middle of the season where Rodgers just looked a little bit off. Like, I think the thing about them the last month or so when they got into the playoff hunt was that they seemed to be playing a bit more freely, that the pressure didn't seem to be on them. So, you know, they were the underdogs, so they seemed to be playing into that. And they were playing, you know, good football on, on every on every uh, phase of, of, of the thing. So their defense was playing well. And to be fair, the defense didn't do a bad job here. They held Detroit to 20 points and the Detroit are a high-powered offense. So I wouldn't put too much much on them but you know the special teams didn't do anything in this game so they didn't get no free points and the offense you know the pressure was on Aaron Rodgers to show up and prove that he was still Aaron Rodgers because the run game was mostly being held in check around you know like less than four yards to carry and he wasn't really able to do it his connection with Christian Watson is solid um which would be great if they were planning to be playing together probably in future seasons but you know probably not so he was over 100 yards on, on four catches but outside of that it just all looked a little bit off like they got into uh, I think Lions like 35 yards and further six times and they got 16 points out of that that's not great football that's not great efficiency and you know when when the chips were down at the end and like their entire season was the line they didn't they didn't build up they went dumb like key walker pushed a, a, a member of the detroit medical personnel in the back and got ejected in what was one of the most boneheaded decisions that i yeah. think i've ever seen on a football field there, there, there's, so, there's also there's a, there's potential now at the moment it's not intended but it's being reviewed that they might look at giving him a suspension going into next season on the back of this yeah yeah, like and like obviously in a week where where medical personnel were getting uh, you know a lot of love after the uh, Demar Hamlin situation, um, especially dumb and based on that, I think Russell Douglas also had another uh, flag like dumb pickup flag at that point. So they kind of felt like Rogers basically. Like, like when Rogers is great, he's unstoppable. But when Rogers is bad and just off form, the whole team just stinks. The whole atmosphere stinks. He's not a Tom Brady type who lifts everyone up because he's just by sheer will alone, he's always been a little bit spiky. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously it's hard not to think about the legacy of Rodgers if this is the final game and his comments to I think it was Jameson Williams at the end of the game had seemed to indicate that he wanted to keep that jersey for some reason um, like to, to think that like Rodgers yes it's been amazing multiple MVPs multiple games and amazing Hail Marys brilliant games and stuff like that but he will only have got one Super Bowl ring at the end of the day and it, there's going to be some questions about wasted potential there and just as a guy who you know obviously so supremely talented uh, but perhaps doesn't have didn't have the the winning uh, you know, uh, makeup as it were, the winning uh, attitude. Um, and you compare that to a team like Detroit, which under Dan Campbell fights for every inch, fights for every game, even though, you know, this is, you know, the second year of a major overhaul where they started from basically zero and you got Jared Goff as your quarterback, but they run the ball hard. They are willing to do crazy things when they need to. They're willing to believe in themselves and you kind of go, you know, 
if they had if Aaron Rodgers a bit more of that attitude, maybe Green Bay would have a few more rings. But you know, this is a team that was very much on the downslope this season. And you know, while you know, if they'd made the playoffs and one more chance, that would be a nice narrative. But I don't think they were going anywhere fast. Um, I think Detroit of the teams who were available for the playoffs in the seventh seed were the only team I think could actually have a realistic chance of doing some upsets. I think Seattle and Green Bay are more uh, more shallow. Um, and Detroit, I think I would think the big thing for them is we're just excited to see where this goes next season. Um, I don't know about the golf thing of like sticking with him, but you know he's obviously earned a chance like that. But I would still probably be looking for an upgrade. But uh, given where they are, that might not be possible. Yeah, I mean the the obviously the story of this game is supposed to be the Packers failing to meet the playoffs and Rogers potentially at the end of his Green Bay journey and maybe his 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 career as a whole. But I I don't really care about the Packers. They're not a team that has excited me at any point this season, and I'm not going to miss them at all. With the Lions, it's it's just an incredible journey to to kind of be able to watch this team evolve game by game and, and get a little bit better they you know that they've got a top five offense that's you know even though they got Jared Goff as a quarterback and Goff himself is you know he's he's turned into the best versions of himself and suddenly now he's given the front office a couple of questions to ask themselves because they're gonna get a high draft pick because the Rams suck this year an opportunity to pick up a franchise quarterback, but do you is Goff the right guy for the system potentially? Their O line is, is 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 you know incredible across. They've had a really really good offensive line season. Panay Sewell is turning into an absolute monster. On the defensive side, they got Aiden Hutchinson killing people all over the place. Rookie leader in sacks, just turning into a big game player. Always turning up when when they really needed him. And the defense had incredible hustle in this game. They never let the the Green Bay offense get settled for one moment. You've got Kirby Joseph, the Aaron Rodgers interception machine. I mean, it's it's looking up in so many different ways, and the only downside is that they were eliminated 45 minutes before this game started because the Seattle Seahawks, uh, you know, are capable of winning games also. Um, but to go from one and six to a winning season, huge step forward for for this team and this franchise. They really feel like they're in, they're going in the right direction. Dan Dan Campbell is looks like a, a, not only a fun human being but a great head coach. And they're going to be they're going to be everyone's second favorite team for a while, I think, if they keep this up. Um, they're going to be really exciting to watch next year as this young team gets better and better and better. And yeah, I, I really feel the NFC North is the the power dynamic is changing. The the Packers are on the way down. I don't think the Vikings are ever going to be more than they are, and the Lions look like the team on the up, and they could definitely be a big force in this division for for years to come. They're certainly not afraid of the Packers anymore, which it kind of felt like them and the and the Bears had gotten quite afraid of the Packers, but with this win they definitely proved they're they're scared of nobody. And yeah, I just want to watch this team grow and grow. Yeah. And uh, just just a side note as well, if uh, Rodgers retires uh, or leaves Green Bay now he'll be joining uh, previous Green Bay legend by having his last pass be an interception uh, so that's, <laughs> that's that's just one to, to, to keep in mind if he does decide to move on next up the Rams took on the Seattle Seahawks and it went to overtime in a 16-19 to slop fest uh, Seattle struggled over an injury ravaged LA Rams and you know they got him to overtime. They needed an, a, an interception and a 32-yard field goal after making, missing a late field goal to end regulation. But they got there in the end. Gino had 213 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions because it turns out Jalen Ramsey is very good at picking him off. Uh, Ramsey got two interceptions against him. But the thing that was missing for part of the season was the run game and Walker kind of really got going. He had 124 yards. Um, Baker Mayfield, ooh, nail in the coffin maybe of this whole 
backup stuff, he had 147 yards and an interception, and the interception in the overtime is what lost the game, obviously. Uh, like, just the offense did nothing in the second half whatsoever. Uh, it was just, 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 you know, terrible. Uh, Akers was, was good on the ground. He had 128 yards, and that's about it from their side. But, like, but this is a Rams team that have, you know, you know, mothballed a load of players already because they knew this was a dead season. This is Seattle team that struggled against this body. Now, look, it's a it's a, it's a divisional rival, and I know that kind of in general, McVeigh has kind of owned the Seahawks, kind of knew how to play them right. So that's always going to play a factor in this kind of spot. And you know, like no one's no one's perfect, but for a team that's going into the playoffs and as you said particularly following what we were just discussing there ahead of the Detroit Lions god this feels like a much 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 ropier team than the Lions would be in the playoffs uh, for the Rams this was a you know they put up a halfway decent performance given that they are essentially a half team Seattle did what needed to get done but it wasn't pretty Ronan yeah like Seattle are almost closer to where the Lions were at the end of last season um, in terms of their rebuild, but you know, as I said, like given what this team went through and given how many young players have gone straight into this team, the fact that they've managed to sneak into the playoffs is a major achievement. Unfortunately, it's an achievement mostly built on the first half of the season where they did genuinely look like a good team and they got a lot of wins, but the back half of the season has been a struggle and they've lost to some pretty bad teams like Carolina and they've only got in by beating, obviously, Mike White Jets and Mike White basically being in a sling, basically unable to throw the ball. Was Germany the turning point? Like, as I remember, we were quite excited up to that point and then they lost then and then it kind of like, it's just been downhill a bit since then, right? Yeah, like they picked up a couple of wins because they had a pretty easy back-end schedule, but it hasn't been convincing. But, you know, when we get to the tournament, we, you never know what's going to happen. But mm. I wouldn't say that the, the trend has been overall uh, upwards. It's more been kind of a best stagnation. Like, But obviously stagnation at a level where, you know, if you said that at the beginning of the season, I would have been happy to take it, like, let's be honest. <laughs> and so you have a situation here where you're obviously, I kind of said last week in the previews that I had a bad feeling about this game. And to be honest, I don't really have a good feeling about the game even afterwards, despite the win. And it was just a game where, you know, I think started badly for both teams um uh, like well sorry it started badly for seattle jalen ramsey got a pick very early in this game he got another late pick uh, late on in this game to kind of keep it close in the second half and it just looked like the entire offense was struggling kenneth walker was being held in check dk metcalf seemed to be locked down by jalen ramsey tyler lockett uh, wasn't making too many plays in the first half and it just kind of felt like you know when the the rams got a touchdown on kind of a uh, like a uh, kind of trick play type of thing like a sweep type play um that that was going to lead into a, a second half where seattle would struggle and and not quite be able to make up the difference um just due to the rams playing out of their skin obviously bobby wagner uh, is playing out of spite and jalen ramsey i think you know unlike someone like aaron donald who's powered by excellence i think jalen ramsey powered by spite is even probably more powerful than Jalen Ramsey powered by anything else um, and so you know they were really playing it hard uh, but the structural issues for the Rams eventually came true like Baker was okay in the first half but basically went completely missing in action in the second half he could not do anything he did not seem to have any answers and that kind of makes sense he's a one read quarterback you kind of you know if you give him his one read and he can make an immediate decision he has good arm talent he has good vision for that but if you can make him think for more than a second or two he makes mistakes or he just panics and just kind of tries to pull it down or throws the ball away and I think in that overtime interception you probably saw the worst of Baker Mayfield he had a guy wide open um, basically you know that would be a touchdown if you're talking about someone like uh, Patrick Mahomes or even a guy like Geno Smith um, but he just under threw the ball 
and uh, Quandre Diggs was able to just sweep in, take the interception, get to what was definitely a taunting uh, to Bobby Wagner on the other sideline, uh, <laughs> but he got away with it. Um, and yeah, like they they ended up like, grinding their way down uh, for the uh, for the for the uh, for the field goal. Um, like there were better sparks for Seattle in the second half. To be fair, they did play better. Kenneth Walker eventually got going. Gino Smith had a nice touchdown to Tyler Lockett. One of those like rain like kind of deep balls that that have been there this season they've looked pretty um they're kind of slightly different in trajectory from russell wilson but they are equally uh, pretty at times and yeah i think they you know they did enough in the second half to probably deserve the win i would say but not in a very convincing fashion and you know at least you know they don't have to complain about rams fans talking about that controversial or a roughing call uh, on geno smith by jalen ramsey when he may or may not just ran into ramsey and particularly may have might have poked ramsey in the eye or tried to poke him in the eye afterwards but you know that ended up being relevant because the field game in overtime um i think for the rams the only positive take from this back end of the season is that defense was still playing hard despite the massive deficit and that cam Akers looks like a good weapon for them after having such a weird season so you know they'll take that but given that sean mcveigh is considering his position and you know he's unsure when he's coming back and obviously this is a team that has no draft capital going forward big questions about the future of this team going forward look they got the ring last year so it doesn't really matter you would take it most people would say uh but you know the future of this franchise for the next years to come very much in flux for seattle a young team sneaking to the playoffs you know it's all gravy from here um uh, so uh, you know we'll take it <clears throat> Yeah, fair enough. Next up, New England at Buffalo, twenty-three to thirty-five. Um, there's two Heinz kickoff touched kick return touchdowns. Uh, kind of were the big difference in this game. One on the opening play. Um, yeah, Buffalo pulled off a big emotional win following Hamlin's injury. Allen looked okay, two hundred seventy yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, but the New England defense really was playing quite well. They had an interception, two fumbles, two sacks, and five tackles for a loss. They made a couple of very big key plays to try and keep themselves in the game. Unfortunately, while Mac Jones, I must say, overall looked a lot better in this game, and I maintain that like they must have just taken a lot of the play calling duties back off Matt Patricia because like. There was just actual plays being run at times. So he had 243 yards and three touchdowns. He did end up with three interceptions, uh, two of those coming towards the tail end as Buffalo started to pull away and they were kind of chasing it a little bit too much. So it means no playoffs after a very unusual year for New England. As you were saying, Sean, they kind of, the last week or two, they look to kind of have figured things out a little bit more. Like I said, I maintain it's that they've taken play calling duties off Matt Patricia. Um, Buffalo, like... Yes, it's a win. Yes, it's a kind of important in that it means that they'll now get a neutral site game if they make it to the championship game. But like, it it's not a convincing win in any any real way. Like, fourteen points from kick returns. You have like gifted two interceptions, or was it three interceptions? Sorry, in the game. Like, it was it was a game that if you looked at this on paper. Buffalo should have won this by a country mile and New England were still in this in the fourth quarter. Um, but again, look, you know, it was, it, it's obviously following a, a difficult time for the team. New England had a lot more to play for, so maybe they were more up for the game. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it, it was a confusing one that it constantly felt like New England were just about losing grasp on it. Yeah, it was a game where the Pats played generally better than the usual level this season and the Bills played 
generally worse. But I mean, ultimately, the Bills, they mean, it's a 12-point victory. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty comfortable in the end, all things considered. I mean, the Pats, they played mostly fine. But, I mean, you can't give up two kick return touchdowns and expect the win. I mean, that's just... I mean, Balachik, given how much importance he puts on special teams and how much emphasis he puts on getting that right, I mean, he must have... Someone must have been killed, like literally murdered the day after for that kind of mess. Because the worst thing is it did finally seem as if this team was coming together. I, I, I mean, I've, 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 you know, I bitched and moaned about this team all season being, you know, incredibly boring on the offensive side. And it, it took a long time for things to get going. But they, they have been improving as the set season goes on, especially Mac Jones did show some improvements. They're finally scoring touchdowns in the red zone. You know, Ramondre Stevenson has quietly battled his way to a thousand yard season. Devontae Parker has had a very quiet season, but he had a, had a good game here. It, it kind of felt like it was all coming together, but I mean, you know, week 18 is a bit late to be quote unquote finding your identity or whatever. I mean, be it Patricia being, you know, taken out, taken out of, uh, play calling duties or whatever it was they did finally seem to be clicking but it was a bit late in the season for it all to be coming together so I can't I mean I could say I'm sad as, as a Pats fan that I didn't see I mean I think they could have shaken a few things up I mean you know in the AFC Belichick on and his and his coaching ability he's always going to ruffle some feathers so it would have been interesting to see but I I can't say I've, I'm going to miss this team uh, from a from a kind of an outsider's perspective let's say that in the playoffs. I don't think anyone's going to say, oh, I wish that the Patriots were here um, uh, as a result. So, yeah, as something to build on as the season goes forward. A couple of questions. I mean, I'm still not 100% convinced Mac Jones is, is the answer. I mean, the, the picks at the end, three interceptions at the end, and two of them were his fault. Um, it's, yeah, it's not a great look to be ending a season on. In terms of the Bills, I mean, I think they're fine. It's hard. I mean, given where we started in terms of the hype for the Bills this season, that they haven't ever quite lived up to that hype other than that first week demolition of the Rams, who in retrospect uh, weren't actually all that good. They've always looked a little bit between being really good and really bad. Or no, not really bad, but, but you know, just just so-so. Um, here, they again, they did just enough to, to, to win it, although they were struggling to, if you take out the kick return touchdowns, their offense is struggling to keep pace for, for the first few quarters. You know, Stefan Diggs is another quiet game, and then he's, you know, he caught a big touchdown to win it. Um, you know, there are red zone turnover issues. Uh, I think Josh Allen has thrown maybe six red zone interceptions this season, which is, you know, six more than you'd want them to. That's going to be a thing that could be a big problem in the in the playoffs. Their defense has looked pretty good all season in general, even with the the the, the loss of Von Miller. I mean, Tredavious White had a big third-quarter pick. Gregory Rousseau was having an, an awful lot of big plays. So they're a talented team. There's no question, and they you know they've won 13 games, and you can't really you can't really complain too much about a team that's won 13 games, and some of those losses were were were, were close ones. Um, but yeah, maybe not not loving this team as much as I loved them at the start of the season, and maybe not fully confident they can go the whole way but they have the pieces in place they have the talent yeah. they just got to get it going a run but yeah going into the playoffs i maybe feel a little bit happier about the chiefs or the bengals than i would have the bills um but the bills certainly are still in there with a the shout there's no question oh yeah, yeah. um sure we'll talk about it a bit more in the previews houston at indianapolis is up next who would have thought it'll be week 18 and this wouldn't be in the dump off uh 32 to 31 in a bizarre turn of events 
both teams showed up to play. So we have Houston winning a topsy-turvy game, but as we mentioned in the preview, losing the first overall pick. Bills went for nearly 300 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions, one of which was the pick six. Uh, and they kind of just properly went all out for it at the tail end so we saw like a fourth and 12 and a fourth and 20 conversion and uh, them decided to go for two points on the end i did have a very brief moment of like you know that whole kind of uh the the accusation when it was miami of like maybe maybe the organization would prefer uh you know draft positioning over a pointless win kind of thing that this two-point conversion to go for the win is the reason that he didn't get a second year as a head coach kind of thing um but yeah it was it was just it was balls to the wall it was great and like i said it was great to see the players playing so hard for lovey at that point indianapolis went very run heavy in this game 114 and a touchdown for moss and nearly 200 total on the ground as ellinger had 200 yards two touchdowns and two interceptions um yeah, like this was, this is a game that like in theory Houston should have lost and Indianapolis should have won, but it's kind of, you know, almost poetic that Indianapolis continued to just like collapse with Jeff Saturday underneath the helm and like he's basically just ensuring that he doesn't have a shot at it next year to, 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 to continue on in, in charge of it, which I think is even like it's a net positive and Indianapolis now have a slightly better draft position than they would have had otherwise. Um, Yeah, like... This was exciting, surprisingly exciting for a Houston at Indianapolis game. Um, I, it does, when you look at the kind of ballsy moves here, maybe it's just the situation of he knew that he was kind of on the way out or that there was a good chance of it or whatever. But like this kind of ballsiness, like that fourth and 20 into the end zone for the for the touchdown thing was, was amazing. Like, you know, it would, to me, would suggest you should have kept the head coach for another year, personally. Uh, this kind of performance and the kind of performances they put up against Dallas and the Chiefs recently, but maybe that's just me. What do you think, Ronan? Well, as a Connor, you're probably well aware of the idea of the uh, principal agent problem where, you know, the principal, in this case, the team would probably be better off with a number one overall pick, but the agent who you have act on your behalf, in this case, the head coach, Lovie Smith is like, no, fuck you. Fuck you, McNair's. <laughs> fuck you, Casario. You could almost imagine, like, you know, uh, Casario or the McNair's running onto the side, like, sideline like in a movie and trying to, to call a timeout and get them to take a kick or just take the loss. But, uh, you know, this team, which obviously a lot of these players won't be there next year, uh, probably first and foremost, Brandon Cooks, who wants a trade, but definitely guys, like, a lot of this roster is quite old and kind of will probably be gone. And obviously now we know Lovey Smith is gone. Like, they just went out there and they got one last win. And, yeah, they kind of fucked over a team that's you know basically been fucking them over it feels like uh, for multiple years doesn't really you know Casario comes from New England tree and I think you know generally while not hated is probably not a guy who's beloved in, in the locker room so you know this is a game that Houston were to be honest winning most of the game like they played pretty well like they yeah. had the lead and it just felt like at the end oh classic Houston or maybe Houston were doing the right thing by just collapsing and allowing Houston to get ahead but you know when the chips were down and they had a chance to win this game they they went out as you said in the final drive they had the fourth and 12 conversion in, in towards the uh, in the middle of the drive and then yeah the final play of the Houston Texans season on offense is a 20-yard fourth down conversion 
um, pass by Davis Mills to Jordan Akins and then a two-point conversion to Jordan Akins again. It's the kind of bullshit kind of stuff that you you know you don't really expect to see in the NFL. But you know, like the Texans, they've played hard down the back end of the season. They've shown some things against teams like Dallas and Kansas City, and it seemed like they they you know they were willing to fight for their head coach to see if he get you know a second year. Not exactly a huge ask, I would say. But like, look, to be fair to Lovey Smith, he got like a three or four-year contract, so he's making plenty of money for the next few years, regardless. So you know, at least he'll get that but yeah the Texans they just I don't know there's something about this franchise that's just off and I don't like it um, and the fact that they you know got rewarded for the whole Deshaun Watson situation doesn't make me feel much better considering um, that they were basically assisting him in his uh, malicious actions as for the Colts they're just a sad team like yes they showed enough fight here in the second half to actually keep in the game and you know uh, eventually be in the ahead with the before the final touchdown drive uh, by, by the Texans but overall they're just you know obviously there's issues of quarterback and injuries and, and Matt Ryan just being old and bad so but just a team that's been kind of trying to you know turn everything around on a year-by-year basis just it feels like you know this is a natural point where maybe it's time to do a full rebuild maybe it's time to take a full consideration of this roster and and tear down what isn't isn't working about it um this is going to be a season that they'll want to quickly move on to and from forget and get a new head coach in there and see what he can do because jeff saturday is certainly not the answer from Salinger, you saw like maybe possible backup play and at least they can still run the ball like that has worked under jeff saturday the mm. run game mostly but Nothing else about this team works. They're boring, they're bad, and yeah, I you know they're going to need to do a lot of work to to add to this team and make it actually interesting for the twenty twenty three season. But you know they got a slightly higher pick, number four pick instead of number six pick. So overall, probably a good day's work for them. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, hopefully probably the last we see of Jeff Saturday running a team, but we'll 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 see because uh, I believe there you have been putting out reporting thing of oh maybe we'll keep him next year but it sounds a little bit more like the kind of uh, the stories that the team are putting out there to make their owner seem like less of a moron for making this decision unilaterally. Aren't they himself. like one and seven or something? Under yeah, yeah. Won. they won. They won the one game and then they've been massively outscored ever since that one game. It's the type of report that I imagine gets the GM with a rolled up newspaper to kind of tap at the owner and tell him to, you know, get the fuck out of the way and let them do something not stupid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Saturday was very much an owner move. Uh, Owners don't know what they're doing. No, they really don't. Uh, And finally, oh God, this is a baseball score. This is not a football score. The Jets at Miami, 6-11. to Miami kind of pissing shit all over themselves as they stumble in the door to the playoffs. This was a terrible game. Thompson had 155 yards. Joe Flacco had 149 yards. Um, There was no excitement. The run game had 162 yards for Miami. Uh, Three field goals and a safety on the last play was all of the scoring that happened. This is obviously the Jets have a very good defense, but this was fucking rough. Like, this was not an enjoyable game to be watching at all. Um, The Jets got two field goals. Their defense did a good job. But like they didn't have the they didn't have the ginormous plays splash play things like there was zero turnovers one sack, like this is just this is putrid. Uh, now I understand this is due to injuries, because um, these are both teams that were you know up until very recently. Now one of them is in the playoffs in the seven seed, the other one was in the contention for that up until quite recently. Both of them are missing major players, particularly their quarterbacks. Um, but my God, my God, I said that last week, the, the hunt for, 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 for seed seven, in the AFC is very bad versus the hunt for the seven in the NFC. Uh, and this is just, yeah, this was, this, this doesn't look, did not feel like it was an NFL game at all. This, 
it, it was just, it, it was brutal. Just a clarification that Zach Wilson is not injured; he's just bad. <laughs> yes. Well, I'd say is I don't even think of him as being the starter anymore, like or being their their quarterback. I was thinking he I was, was thinking, the starter. Yeah, but I was, I was thinking about Mike White and the fact that he tried to play yeah. through broken ribs last week. Um, like, yeah, this was this was rough going. And as we yeah. mentioned, looked like the, the the concern with Miami, and we'll talk about it in the play, in the in the game previews. My big concern is you look at this and you know you're going nowhere. So whether or not they're going to try and force their hand and push push Tua back into the lineup would be my concern. Yeah, it's it it kind of felt like one of those kind of week seventeen, week eighteen games where people were resting their starters because they had nothing to play for or whatever. It just kind of felt like it really weird that there was a playoff spot on the line for one of these teams because because they weren't playing like it and it was just yeah backup quarterbacks and and backup play all round uh, and I mean there's not an awful lot to say about the game itself I mean F- Joe Flacco can be pretty mad at his O-line because they gave him no protection you'd be worried about the Jets the fact that they don't seem to have a run game either and a lot of that's got around to, to Brees. Brees Hall is still their highest rusher of the season despite having played only five games um, which is, is also pretty indictful I mean it, 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 in terms of the Jets, you know, we know what their problems are. We know that they've got a pretty damn good defense, but their offense is a bit of a mess. They'll be, be back and better next year. Robert Sala will maybe have to make a few sacrifices on the coaching side to appease the higher-ups, but you'd imagine he'll, he'll have something good and better next year. They just have to find some sort of franchise quarterback and, and keep their their key pieces, Wilson, Hall, etc., healthy next year on the offensive side, and they'll be a really good team. So I'm not worried about the Jets. The Dolphins, though, I mean, are they really a playoff team? I mean, okay, the the, the Tyler, the Skyler Thompson can, experiment can be considered over. He started okay, but, you know, just far too many mistakes. Um, even if two is back in, I mean, we've I've talked an awful lot in the past few weeks about the fact that I think this offense has been figured out anyway, that the, 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 the Waddle... The Waddle Hill thing can be can be taken out by scheming, which San Francisco showed the league how to do it. Now I feel that the entire league knows how to stifle this pass offense, which means they're going to be more reliant on their run offense. Except now that Raheem Mostert is going to be injured for the wild card round, so they're not going anywhere. So I, I, it's it's their defense is good, but there's not an awful lot else going on there, especially with the the you know the the injuries uh, and the such like. So uh, big questions over who they're going to play at quarterback. Big questions about how well they'll do. I mean, it's very hard to see them beating the Bills at all. We may have talked about the Bills maybe not living up to the hype, and they, they may struggle at the top end uh, in, in later games of the playoffs, but they shouldn't struggle against the Dolphins based on this. And this was just a terrible game to, to end the season. And, yeah, I honestly, having see, having you know witnessed the, the three teams going through, I actually kind of wanted the Steelers to I think the Steelers would probably be the best seven seed because and I think the Dolphins are the worst I, I would I would have you know gone Steelers Pats and then Dolphins because I think this Dolphins team is cooked they were really good like six weeks ago but they've they lost they've lost they lost five straight going into this game and they feel like a team that has lost five straight and it's very hard to see them making any kind of impact in the playoffs yeah yeah it was uh somewhat of an embarrassing showing for as we say two would have been contenders both of them two weeks ago. Um, and as always, look, we like to cover all the games. All the games are important, just some are less important than others. But those are Ronan's favourites, so we give them to him on the dump off. There you go, Ronan, fire away. Yep, the, the last week of the regular season means we're done with the dump off for the 2022 season. 
Um, so it's all very sad here at the dump off, uh, and we're all looking forward to seeing you next season. But we'll 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 be okay. We'll we'll, we'll struggle through. We'll we'll dump the ball off one last time. We'll start with some games that had some relevance here. Kansas City at Vegas. Did Kansas City lock up the number one overall seed. Asterisk. Uh, based on the Buffalo Cincinnati cancellation, but 31 to 13, pretty comprehensive win here. They're over 24 to 3 at the half, and Mahomes basically had to basically do nothing. He had 202 yards and a touchdown, but the run game was working well. Over 100 yards and two touchdowns. They had a few, few fun trick plays. One which <laughs> the best of which didn't end up actually counting, but which was really fun. Where they played ring around the Rosie in before the snap, and then moved out to where I think was McKinnon was at the quarterback position, um, and you know it went for a touchdown, but it was called back by the refs because they have no fun. Uh, they scored a touchdown straight after it anyway to, to uh, uh, Katerius Tony, so it didn't really matter. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff uh, we're hoping to see more from Kansas City as we uh, when we get them back in a couple of weeks in the playoffs. Uh, the defense had pretty much the, the, the run of it against Vegas' offense. They had an interception, a fumble, six sacks, six tackles for a loss. They kind of stunned the Vegas offense into submission. The Stidham very much came back to earth. 219 and a touchdown and interception. He was fine. He just wasn't the guy who, you know, nearly beat the 49ers last week. Um, a guy who's probably in consideration, maybe, um, but they're probably looking maybe to get Tom Brady in there in Vegas, to be honest. Uh, Jacobs was held in check, Adams was held in check, so just an overall, the kind of easy win that Chiefs fans were definitely hoping for came true and, uh, you know, on to, uh, on to the divisional round. Uh, similarly, the Philadelphia Eagles knock up the number one seed finally after two weeks of failing to do so by beating the Giants backups 22 to 16. Look, it wasn't the most inspiring win by Philly. I think they definitely had another gear if they needed to, but this was very much kind of a, oh, God damn it, fine, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll get the number one overall seed. And given the Giants were playing backups, it was mostly uh, trivial for them. The Giants backups, to be fair, them were playing with a lot of heart, but you could tell the difference in quality as the game went on. Uh, Hertz, he had 242 yards on the interception. This is a tune-up game for him, and it was very much a case where they weren't using him in the run game. They were pretty conservative, and I think what you saw was fine. He looked healthy. Um, expect to see a much more dynamic version when we see him back in the playoffs. The fact that they went 1-5 in the red zone probably tells you how conservative their play calling was, but you know, against backups, it was sufficient. Um, they were 16 points up at the half. Giants kind of got back towards the end. They got within one touchdown, as you can see at the end, but that, that required an onside kick to make that relevant, so... Uh, I think you can uh, you can probably discount that. The Giants, in terms of their backups, Webb showed some okay play. He had a touchdown in the second half, but didn't really do much when the game was actually on the line. Uh, and the Philly defense um, were mostly able to keep him and the, and the offense in check. Um, look, the Giants, fair play to them. Uh, fair play to them to actually get a decent performance out of the backups, but you know Philly were better, and I think they could have won if they pushed them even a bit harder. Next up, Dallas at Washington. Dallas were starting their starters because technically... Um, uh, they could have won the NFC East if Philly had lost, but you know, in a game which they, you know, expect to win against the Washington team that's kind of playing at the string, we were eliminated. They actually got bullied by Washington, 26 to six. That's a pretty bad loss for Dallas, who kind of after a couple of big wins end up fumbling into the playoffs. Uh, Washington, big positive here. Howell, the rookie, was brought in, 169 yards, a touchdown interception, plus 35 yards and a TD rushing. Um, he looked kind of good. He kind of looked, I think, a lot. Someone said kind of like Heineke plus, like a slightly more talented version of Taylor Heineke with a bit more arm talent and a bit more dynamism, a bit younger. And outside of his interception, which was a really bad throw in the in the red zone, you know, I think it was a solid going and maybe gives a consideration as someone who could compete for the starting job. Not your ideal choice, but a guy who seemed to have good relationship with guys like McLaurin and etc. Um, so, you know, something positive to at least take from this game alongside the defense, basically having its way with the Dallas offense. Dak was basically terrible. He had another interception here. He only had 128 yards of touchdown. And to offset that, 
Um, the pick six was pretty bad play just overall. He gave near pick six. Uh, one that was called off just before that, so just bad play overall as the Washington defense just stopped the run game uh, for under three yards to carry, and the special teams bumbling from Dallas really didn't add much. They fumbled the ball, I think, twice in this game. And the defense, which obviously was the strength of this team for most of the year, um, is showing vulnerabilities, primarily due to injuries in the defensive backfield, but also the interior defensive line is not really where it was earlier in the season. Like they have, they still make splash plays, but they're just not a solid unit. They're very much more back to where they were, say, last season, where you know lots of big plays, but maybe you know a lot of yards given up as well. Interesting to see where that goes in the playoffs. Baltimore at Cincinnati, 16 to 27, or the avoid the coin toss game. Very, very important stuff here. Uh, Cincinnati kind of annoyed that you know Baltimore could potentially force them uh, to play in Baltimore, even if Cincinnati had technically wound up the number three seed. But thankfully, it didn't matter because Cincinnati comprehensively beat the uh, Baltimore Ravens, uh, even more so than the score suggested, 27 to 16. Um, you know, the Cincinnati annoyance probably came out most when they did an actual fake uh, coin flip celebration uh, to uh, show off that they weren't happy about the whole situation. But anyway, it didn't matter now that's all over. Burrow was good, 215 yards and touchdown, although he didn't really do much in the second half. A little bit of a concern there. Uh, obviously, it's because they're playing Baltimore again in the uh, wildcard round. Uh, but they were 24-7 up at the half and they kind of just held on second half because Baltimore's offense did nothing with Anthony Brand, the backup quarterback in there because uh, they're protecting Huntley. Probably not a great sign uh, for Lamar playing next week. Uh, Huntley, you know, nearly 300 yards but two interceptions and a fumble, three turnovers just not going to get you anywhere really in the NFL and given those turnovers and bad red zone conversion, just you know, I think Cincinnati, similar to the Philly, Philadelphia, could have put up another gear if they needed to. They just kind of were willing to sit back and, and avoid injury uh, in the second half here. Cleveland and Pittsburgh, 14-28, a pretty easy win for Pittsburgh, uh, primarily based on their defense. Tomlin gets to stay over 500 and keep his, uh, you know, eternal record that everyone will ever talk about forever, Connor. Um, but uh, obviously missed the playoffs because Miami managed to eke out their win. And I think, as Sean said, Pittsburgh probably looked like a more complete team or actually competitive team at this point than Miami. But look, they, they you know, that, that's just the way things fell. Uh, the Pittsburgh defense has been dominant since CJ Watt came back, two interceptions. Seven sacks, eight tackles for a loss. Absolutely, you know, hammering Watson throughout this game. You love to see it. Um, Watson ended up throwing up two picks, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, though he did have 275 yards and two touchdowns. I think you've seen some emergence of some Watson-type play, but it's still nowhere near what you would expect for what they gave away to get him. Uh, Chubb at least has had a solid end to the season, 120 yards and touchdowns here. Um, as for the Pittsburgh offense, solid outing again. Pickett had nearly 200 yards and a touchdown. He's just very clean and solid, but you definitely want to see a step up if he's going to be your franchise quarterback going forward. And Najee Harris has had a solid end of the season. He had 94 yards of touchdown here. So they have the nucleus of what could be an interesting offense, but right now they're very much a defense-first unit. But, uh, you know, they're above 500 after a pretty tough season. I'm sure they'll take that and build on that going forward. Next up, Minnesota at Chicago. A game which didn't mean anything really. Uh, Minnesota just beat up on Chicago because Chicago were playing Nathan Peterman and Tim Boyle, and there was a kind of a carousel. Tim Boyle was so bad that they brought Nathan Peterman back. That kind of tells you how bad uh, the quarterbacking was in this game for the Chicago Bears with Fields held out due to a hamstring injury, um, and obviously just because there's no point in risking him at this point. Um, but the defense really for Chicago was equally bad, and Minnesota were able to pick on that uh, in the first half. His Cousins went 225 yards of touchdown. Get his morale book up, get him believing that he's actually good at football again. That's nice to see for him, I suppose. Um, but, you know, the Chicago defense is terrible, so I wouldn't read too much into it. And in the second half, Nick Mullins still seemed to be able to top his way with the Chicago defense. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say Cousins was fixed by any stretch, and the OL is probably going to be a problem. But, you know, Chicago get the number one overall pick. That's a nice bonus uh, for at least losing here. But, uh, you know, Chicago, while I, I know Fields is exciting, big questions about where this franchise is going to be 
a year from now or two years from now. He's just so talent poor right now. Next up, Arizona and San Francisco, 13 to 38. San Francisco easily wrap up the number two seed. Purdy had three touchdowns with less than 200 yards, so very efficient here. The run game did most of the work, 150 yards and two touchdowns. Only 45 of which came from CMC. He was able to be rested for most of this game. And the defense absolutely dominated whatever left over of the Arizona offense as David Blau had three turnovers um, and, you know, the uh, three sacks and four tackles were lost. To add to that for San Francisco 49ers. Uh, 28 to 13 at the half, it was pretty much over uh, before it started. Um, as for Arizona, the only positive, I suppose, is that TJ, sorry, JJ Watt got the finish with two sacks and three tackles for a loss. He stuffed the sheet one last time as he rides off into the sunset. Um, but uh, for Arizona, they're basically, you know, completely de de bereft of talent at this point. And obviously, they fired their head coach. So I have no idea what the team's going to be a year from now. But uh, an ignominious end to the Kingsbury era, uh, probably suitably so. Next up, probably one of the most dumb games of the week, but you know, fun enough to watch, kind of alongside the Houston Indianapolis game. 28 to 13, or 30, sorry, 38 to 31 win for the Denver Broncos. Yes, the Denver Broncos won a, won a game. It's, it's amazing. Um, but uh, you know, the finish on a high note here is Chargers. Uh, this is despite the fact that the Chargers were inexplicably playing their starters, so they were just beating up on backups here. As Russell Wilson seems to have been reinvigorated uh, by the interim head coach choice, three touchdowns. Over 300 yards here. He did throw a pick as well, but overall, you saw some of the classic Russell Wilson play. Um, he was rolling outside the pocket, making big plays downfield to Jerry Judy. He had 154 yards. The run game was going. Uh, Latavius Murray had over 100 yards and a touchdown. It just looked like what I assumed they thought they were going to get at the beginning of the season. So maybe it was just Nathaniel Hackett is completely terrible at coaching, and Russell Wilson can still be a solid uh, quarterback. He's probably not a great quarterback anymore, but he could be a solid quarterback. And given how good this defense is, that may be enough to make them relevant. But you know, a lot of questions about that uh, to talk about in the offseason we'll see as for the Chargers like Herbert was solid though I don't know why he was playing he had two touchdowns Allen was playing over 100 yards don't know why he is out there Williams went out early due to the injury it was just I don't know what the Chargers were fucking at it was just stupid um, and the Denver defense considering how tough it was playing it's not a daily defense I would have been playing my starters against um, but like look uh, you know the, 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 the Denver get a nice fill up uh, they, they, they moved the Seahawks uh, pick down a little bit uh, the Chargers I don't know they're just the Chargers I don't know what the fuck that's about um, and finally, I think appropriately for the final dub off the season, let's finish with the uh, irrelevant NFC side games. Tampa Bay and Atlanta, 17-30 win for Atlanta. This is an even game in the first half. Uh, Tampa Bay were actually up by seven points at the half, but then they pulled all their starters and Atlanta were able to beat up on the backups. Ritter had two touchdowns. He needed so solid uh, chemistry with London, who had over 100 yards. Legier has been solid down the back end. He had 135 yards here to end up just over 1,000 yards in the season. So, you know, sparks of hope there for Atlanta going forward. As for Tampa Bay, like, you know, the starters looked fine, but the backups were bad as Trask and Gabbard played at the string. Um, I think Brady wanted to keep playing, but, you know, objectively just a bad idea, just not the Chargers. Um, so, uh, uh, you, know, you know, a loss here for Tampa Bay. They uh, win the division with a losing record, but it doesn't really matter. Also, the first time Brady has ever finished the season with a losing record. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, that probably explains why he wanted to be in there. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you know, that's winning. insane. Winning playoff games is probably more important, Tom, all right? Um, just to say. And finally, uh, I think a very appropriate game to finish up our final dump of the season, Carolina and New Orleans. A 10-7 win for Carolina as Carolina kick a 42-yard field goal um, to win against New Orleans, who were just incredibly inefficient. Like, they had two field goal misses. They were had a downs, uh, fourth down conversion failure uh, within the Carolina red zone. They were just bad. Uh, not that Carolina were much better, 
Um, Darnold had two interceptions and less than 100 yards overall. Uh, because the run game did most of the work for Carolina over 100 yards here. Uh, like the highlight play, if you can call it a highlight, was when uh, Marcus Davenport and Dante Forman got into a slap fight and Bo got ejected. Uh, and I think that's probably an appropriate way to finish the final dump off of the 2022-23 season. Um, so thanks for listening to the dump off all season. Uh, we'll talk to you next season. Excellent. So uh, just before we move on to have a look at our previews of the wildcard round we'll do a little bit of a summing up of how we got on in our picks and everything during the year so our predictions performance uh i got 165 games right uh that gives me a 60.9 nice percent ronan got 174 games right which gives him 64.2 but in the lead predicting the regular season is sean 178 games 65.7 percent of his picks are correct well done sean our, uh, I am the champion. You are. You did exceptionally well. Our preseason predictions, uh, you are also the closest in those. So you're um, basically when we do our previews, we also we, we pick every game of the year that early. Um, so Sean yeah, that's was... in the middle of June. Just yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I think it can actually be earlier sometimes as well. So Sean was off by uh, 86, running by 87, B by 93. Uh we had a number of ones perfect. So interestingly, Sean was kind of in general a little bit closer, but didn't have as many bang on. So Sean had New Orleans and Dallas predicted exactly correctly. Uh, and his worst prediction was the LA Rams. Seven games off when they actually finished. Seven um, games lower, uh, I think you could probably guess in this case. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Ronan was bang on on four of them. So he had Buffalo, the Jets, Pittsburgh and Chicago absolutely bang on. And was six and a half games wrong on where the Giants would finish. And I had four perfectly correct. Buffalo, the Jets, New England and Chicago and my uh, furthest out was I was nine games wrong on the Rams because I thought they were going to do better now I did pick the most I, I, 10 of my 14 playoff teams are correct versus the nine for you guys so you know I think we all know who's, who's got the business end of the season locked up but uh, but yeah so that's, that's that in terms of who got the most uh, talk in our in our pods during the regular season and um, the most the most team mentions was Buffalo, who had 25 items, Miami, who had 21, and Minnesota, who had 18, remarkably. And the least discussed teams were the Atlanta Falcons at two, uh, the New Orleans Saints at three, and Houston Texans at four. Uh, and you can probably guess with the fact that Buffalo and Miami are on, are in the top teams, the division that had the most mentions was the AFC East at 74, and the least was the NFC South at 25. Um yeah, like I don't really want to talk about the NFC South, so that seems good to me. I can't believe we talk that much about the AFC East. It, they're four good teams, and they—that's right. We we we, say, we 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 literally just spent eight minutes discussing what a dumpster fire the battle for 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 for, for getting they, into the thing between were, two of them were. There were four competitive teams for most of the season, and at various times they were all considered to be good, um, even if only one of them is actually good. Yeah, um, I suppose it is. It's, it's, it's the problem of that they were they were good at the start anyway. Apart from New England, who kind of rounded into form a little bit more towards the back end, whereas the other ones were kind of dropping off with injuries at that point. Um, yeah, and the NFC side was weird because like I think Dennis Allen and uh, Arthur Smith are safe, so there wasn't really too much excitement happening in terms of coaching changes stuff for Atlanta or New Orleans. But they were just kind of trundling along, doing their thing, finishing seven ten, never really being of much interest beyond that. Houston, you know, they, they were just bad, but, you know, they had some interest was with number one overall pick and they fired Jack Easterby in the middle of the season. But uh, Atlanta New Orleans literally just 
there. I think Atlanta had one spike week where they had two mentions in a, in a review and a preview. I'd say that that literally zero mentions. That was about it, yeah. Yeah, and just a small asterisk on the preseason predictions. Uh, I based it on the number of wins, obviously, uh, for Cincinnati and Buffalo. Uh, obviously, because they didn't play one game, uh, the number of wins could have been changed by that Buffalo-Cincinnati game. But uh, So the Buffalo perfect result you may consider that to be uh, somewhat an asterisk uh, for that. No, I don't, I don't, because I got it. Um, <laughs> so that's fine. Um, yeah, so that's just kind of a little bit of, of, of where the where the focus has been on during the regular season. Let's move over and have a look. We're kicking into the playoffs. Let's have a look at the wild card. Okay, so first up, we have uh, on Saturday, Seattle at San Francisco. We've gone for San Francisco across the board in this. Obviously, the question is, Geno Smith, during the early parts of this year, we probably would have said, you know what, maybe he can go and take these guys on. But the San Francisco defense has started to look pretty hardcore, apart from when they play like backup quarterbacks of the Raiders, apparently. Um, yeah, so like Purdy is here. He's not phenomenal, but it does seem to be a relatively quarterback-proof system that they run there in San Francisco. And the acquisition of CMC seems to be working incredibly well for them. So the question is, can the Seattle run defense be able to slow them down at all will this offense be able to, to, to pop off can Gino get back to that kind of week six week seven kind of form um when when the kind of when the bright lights are on because this is kind of what he wanted this is you know he's I think he's earned three and a half million in incentives now because they made the because they made the the playoffs um it is it is remarkable actually just when we kind of look at this this is Carroll's third quarterback to bring to the playoffs. Uh, and I think I was reading online earlier, he's never missed playoffs in back-to-back years. He's never had a two-year period where he's not gone to the playoffs. Yeah, like I think this is a game where all the things on paper and in terms of the form book would say that San Francisco should walk this. They're obviously at home, which is somewhat an advantage, though it's not the biggest home advantage in, in San, Santa Clara. Um, so I think picking San Francisco here probably makes sense. So why why would you pick the Seahawks? Well, I suppose traditionally the Pete Carroll's had a pretty good record against Kyle Shanahan. Uh, not this season, though. They lost both games to the 49ers this year. Uh, won pretty comprehensively early in the season. Um, and then there was a game only a few weeks ago where it was a little bit closer. Kind of a weird game. San Francisco were the better team, but the Seahawks just seemed to be able to, to hang around towards the end uh, for one reason or another. So I think overall... Um, you know, that, that's probably why San Francisco should be picked here. Um, what does Seattle have going for them? Well, like, look, the Geno Smith offense, I think it's it's cooled down a little bit in recent weeks. I think the connection with uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett has cooled off, especially after Lockett picked up a, a finger injury. But, you know, obviously we know that any time those two guys have the possibility of going off, they're huge threats going deep on with Geno or Russell Wilson in previous years. So, you know, a San Francisco defensive backfield, which isn't the most elite in the world, uh, could be exploited if the San Francisco offense Sorry, the Seattle offensive line can keep um, uh, Nick Bosa and the guys from absolutely hammering Geno Smith all year. They failed to do that really in the games earlier this season. So I think the offensive line for Seattle, a big tough task for them to keep Geno up. Uh, upright and to give him time to get those guys downfield. I think the other big thing is they need to be able to open holes for Kenneth Wall. He's a guy who generally tended to start games quite slow, but he's grown into games. So if Seattle are still close here at the end and can run the ball, um, that's something that Kenneth Walker might be able to pick up some steam there. And I think for Seattle, one big thing, it, it's kind of gone under the radar, but it's been noted by some people like the Around the NFL podcast, is that Al Woods, apparently, he's hugely associated with Seattle having a good or bad run defense. Obviously, San Francisco really want to run the ball with CMC and Elijah Mitchell's back and maybe even Jordan Mason mixed in a bit there. Um, but if they can slow down the run game and put the 
the the um, game on Brock Purdy's arm, then I think that gives them a chance because Brock Purdy has played really well, but it's mostly been a complementary role. And I think we have seen Brock Purdy um, become less efficient uh, as throughout the uh, after having a co- first couple of games where he just looked unstoppable. Since then, he's looked a lot more vulnerable. Is Debo back this week or do yeah, we Debo know is that? back. Like like that's like that's going to take a lot of pressure off. Purdy, right? Yeah. So in theory, in theory, with Depot back, and obviously he has a good connection with Kittle, and Ayuk's had over a thousand yards this season, and MC is a weapon in the pass game. He could just revert to being a distribute distributor. Um, but some of the best things he did on were deep plays, like especially to Ayuk. Um, so I think. It'll be interesting to see how much Shanahan chooses to just kind of treat Birdie like more like a Jimmy Garoppolo, where he plays short, uh, maybe a little bit more over the middle, or whether he's willing to get Birdie a few deep shots to Ayuk and, and potentially Depot Samuel, though he's more of a yards after the catch guy. So, you know, like I, I'm talking, I'm trying to hype up Seattle here to make it seem like more a contest, but like San Francisco defense is dominant, except against Jared Stidham, apparently. Um, their offense has looked really, really efficient and it's full of weapons with Depot back. So everything says San Francisco win, but look, like, if you want, want to know how Seattle win hopefully I've given a decent overview of the things they'll need to do they need to stop the run they need to get the uh, run game going themselves and they need to have those explosive plays from Luck and DK in my opinion yeah I mean for me it's just I mean not a lot to add to that but for me it is just a question of talent differential I think there's just an awful lot more talent uh, on the San Francisco side and playoffs tend to be about big players making big big plays it tends to become the scheme stuff becomes less important than, than being able to step up in the big moments and do things. And I think San Francisco have a more of those kind of playmaker type players than the Seahawks have. And I, I would worry about how much this Seahawks offense is going to be able to do against this defense. Albeit, I mean, the secondary stuff is the secondary issues might might be the the key there. But uh, yeah, you you got to get the ball out before you can exploit that. Um, I, I do think the Niners will struggle with Purdy down the stretch, but I don't think this is the game where he's going to be exposed fully. So I just, I would be, given where the, the Niners are in terms of their coaching and in terms of their talent, I, I can't imagine they're not going to plan for all these eventualities and find a way to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up, we'll have a look at the Chargers at Jacksonville because Jacksonville get a home game. <laughs> That's great. Uh, me and Ronan have gone for the Chargers and Sean has gone for Jacksonville. Obviously, the big, like, top of this is Lawrence versus Herbert. Lawrence, who's looked much better in the second year, but as I said, does still have some limitations. Herbert, who is a top-tier talent, but has had some problems, particularly some of the questions around the coaching that they're doing, some of the scheming that they have, and the questions who can take this big step up. Chargers' run defense has improved, but Travis Etienne has been able to get some performances of late. The young Jacksonville defense has had some exceptional performances in the last couple of weeks. As we said, Week 18 was surprisingly cold from a few from for the Jacksonville team compared to the last couple of weeks. So hopefully they can recapture the earlier spark. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting one because like. You know, Jag's going to Jag and Chargers going to charge are two very common turns of phrase over the last like, decade or so. Um, both these teams feel like they could mess it up, but also both of them feel like, given the right spot, they could turn it on incredibly well. There's a lot of weapons on this Chargers team if they can get them going properly and if they can find success against this Jacksonville secondary. Whereas in Jacksonville, like, like I said, if they can build on that run game, get that going solidly and open up some stuff over the top, there are holes in this Chargers defense that are exploitable as well. I, my problem is I don't think I, I, I don't think the Chargers have been playing fantastically well. I don't think Jacksonville have been playing fantastically well the last week or two. I think that if they get things going 
correctly, the Chargers have a higher ceiling than the Jags do at the moment, just given the the the, the collection of players and weapons that are there for them. Um, but yeah, like to be honest, I could I could see a, a, a situation where Jacksonville could win this. They are at home. The Chargers have to travel. I I would actually I would love to see the Jacksonville Jaguars win this because I would love to see the Jags coming into Arrowhead the following week. Um, but at the moment, like. The Chargers have the ability to screw up a game, but also the ability to just turn it on real, real hard. And, you know, this feels like one that they can finally go, look, we've gone, we've won a playoff game, we're relevant. Uh, and I've got a feeling they're going to be, that they're going to be driving hard at that. Well, I've gone for the Jags here for, for a couple of, and I, I'm, I'm alone in that. I, I Both you guys have gone for the Chargers, but I, I, I have a feeling about the Jags for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think there's there's going to be the emotion of the game. It's it's kind of home game, loud crowd, you know, up for it, kind of big big moment, big players stepping up in the, in the situation. I think there's going to be the Jags, if they get going early with some scores, there could be a lot of momentum there, and the Chargers could, could find it hard to keep up. I mean, the Chargers are a very talented team, but you'd question their spirit and you'd question their ability to, to win tough games, um, especially uh, in tough uh, situations. Um, there's also the question that the run game is, is going to be a massive problem. I, I think that the Chargers have a notoriously terrible run defense, albeit not as bad as it was in previous years. And, and you know, Travis Etienne is going to do some some damage there. I mean, it's we've been talking a lot all this season about the Chargers not living up to their potential and even Herbert maybe being more about the hype than about the the reality. So I, I haven't seen it from the Chargers in terms of, uh, you know, the, them having their, their moment. Um, whereas I have seen this Jags team step up when they need to and get the job done. I don't think it's going to be a spectacular game. I mean, it's something like a 20 to 16 or, or something like that would be a, a normal thing for me. But I just feel that the, the, the vibes are with Jacksonville. They've got a couple of things that they can exploit. Uh, and the Chargers have this charging in them. And Brandon Staley is a coach that sometimes does ris- risky things that he shouldn't do. So all for me, it kind of leans me towards the Jags. But I mean, yeah, the Chargers are the more talented team. So I wouldn't be surprised if they win. But I just have a feeling the Jags are going to do it. Yeah, I think the Chargers are kind of in a weird space because they're they're just not the team that we thought they'd be. They're not the team they were last year. That kind of risky streak that obviously Brandon Staley was well known for based on the analytics has kind of disappeared. He's become surprisingly conservative. The offense, obviously with Justin Herbert, has turned into a kind of a dink and duck offense, especially um, you know, like especially when if Mike Williams is not fully healthy here. Um, I think with Williams back, with Keenan Allen back, we saw maybe that okay, it's a personnel issue. But of course, with a guy like Herbert, you'd think that you know, if 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 an offensive coordinator was putting him in the right position, that he'd be able to make those big plays. But you know, Williams provides at least a deep ball element. Keenan Allen's got his relationship back. Austin Eckler has been a great weapon, both in the run and pass game all season. So. It's nowhere as exciting or super fun as we thought it would be, given what we saw last year, but it's turned into something effective. I think the big turnaround for the Chargers down the stretch has been that the defense seems to have mostly got it together. Now, they just like gave up a bunch of points to Russell Wilson in the final week, but they might have been playing pretty vanilla there, given it was a relevant game. Um, but, you know, overall, the defense, particularly the run defense, has just seemed to have turned it around, and the Brandon Staley's reputation as a defensive mastermind was maybe being slightly repaired. But now that we're in the playoffs, that's a huge, you know, test for him. He's now got to go and take on one of the most talented young quarterbacks in the league, Trevor Lawrence, and try to shut him down. And Travis Etienne's obviously another exciting uh, weapon in terms of the uh, offense. Uh, Christian Kirk's been solid 
for them. Zay Jones has been solid for them. So it's not the most, you know, superstar packed offense in the league, the Jacksonville Jaguars, but it's certainly a step up from the offenses that uh, Staley has been doing a decent job of shutting down uh, in the back half of the season. Um, so I think for the Chargers, they're a bit more of a boring, solid team than the Chargers expect to be. But, you know, it's the playoffs. All the lights are now on them. So they could very much revert to full-on charging mode, both in a good sense or a bad sense. Um, but if, if, if he's been hiding things, uh, I certainly would like to see them coming out now. As for Jacksonville, like, they're just a solid team. As I said, they're maybe uh, in the playoffs a year earlier than they should be because Tennessee just collapsed due to injuries and stuff like that. But they're exciting, they're young, and they certainly have the upside to start making trouble for teams like the Chargers and potentially even teams down the stretch. But I'm willing to give the Chargers as a more mature team at uh, the slight edge here and based just on the more solid team that they've shown themselves to be than the back half of the season. But uh, certainly a close, interesting game for Saturday night. And uh, I, I forgot to mention, sorry, I should have. It's worth remembering that the last time these two teams played, albeit in week three, the Jags did win 38-10. So there may be a blueprint there for how to deal with this Jags, mm. this Chargers team. Um, so it'll be interesting in that sense as well. Yeah, uh, we'll move on to Sunday. Uh, first up, we have Miami at Buffalo. We've gone for Buffalo across the board. Look, obviously, the question here is, quarterback for Miami, is Tua going to be back? Is Teddy in? Is Skyler there? Um, realistically, like this is a Buffalo team that is very good. Uh, if not, as I said, I have some concerns about whether or not they're as good as maybe advertised earlier on in the season. Uh, I think they're missing a few pieces here. But... I can't see, like, not not to shortchange a, a a playoff preview, but I don't see any route for Miami here. Barring to uh, coming back, him actually being completely healthy and them being able to run a big stretch, super firing offense that stretches them out. Like, they couldn't do it previously when they were in Buffalo, although they gave him a good game at that point, and that was when people were healthy. Like, I... I don't see a route outside of that. Allen is playing very well. They've got, you know, top-end performances out of the wide receiver. They've got a run game that's finding a bit more consistency. Their defense is looking a lot better. Like, not off the charts, top of the league levels, but like, you know, very good top section of the league, whereas Miami have regressed. This is a Miami team that, like you said, put up 11 points last week. Like, yes, they stopped points being scored, but that was by Joe Flacco. Like, it, it's... It, it, this Miami team is a dead duck in the playoffs. I cannot see anything other than that. Yeah, like I completely agree. Like even if Tua comes back, and to be honest, that would, in my opinion, be a mistake. All the reports coming out about Tua have been very concerning. His, his, yeah. his having an inability to recall plays, um, really struggling to remember multiple pieces of important information, the kind of stuff that quarterbacks are expected to know and remember. It's just. Uh, you know, like uh, there will be a temptation. They will certainly keep their options open. But even if like Teddy Bridgewater comes back, and that's very much an open question because he has a hand injury, wasn't able to grip the ball a week ago. Um, like if it's Skylar Thompson, it's game over. Like there's just no chance that they're going to win with Skylar Thompson at quarterback. He has no chemistry with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, the two best players on their offense. Their run game, while solid, is not great, and it's probably going to be missing Raheem Mostert here. And the defense, while okay. Um, is missing a couple of pieces and against Josh Allen who looks to be back to fully healthy and back to his full form in New England you know in, in tough conditions in Buffalo I don't actually know what the conditions are but I assume they're tough because it's Buffalo um, then uh, you, we would expect him to be able to do more than enough here uh, so unless Allen has a disaster show and throws like multiple red zone picks um, to give Miami a hope like it just feels like this feels like a very much a, a dead duck game as you say yeah there's just 
yeah, there's just a talent differential and there's certainly a, a, a playing level differential at the moment. And even if two is in there, the, there are question marks over how effective this Miami passing offense is. So it's, yeah. it's hard to see this being journey ends. Yeah, like I said, like the on, the only thin line is if Tua is healthier than they think and he comes back and he's fine because they went up to Buffalo, what, five weeks ago and they ran them to a one-score game that went down to a last-second field goal. So, like, it's there, but they don't, like, Miami don't feel like that same team anymore. So I just I just don't really see it, to be honest. Um, yeah, look, be happy if, if we're wrong. We'll hold our hands up and we'll say we're wrong. But, yeah. Uh, next up, the Giants at Minnesota. This is an intriguing one. Me and Sean have gone for Minnesota and Ronan has gone for the Giants. Because um, this is the thing. We kind of like the Giants and we really don't like Minnesota. <laughs> so why am, I, why am I picking Minnesota? Like, they are a paper tiger, but I just... I don't think I see this Giants team as a proper playoff contender but this is this is eternally been what the giants when they've had their big successful years have been that they kind of the surprising backing into the into the playoffs and then going on a run spot but can this team be that type of team is the question like can martindale's defense confuse cousins can the giants get saquon to like have a 160 yards and three touchdowns kind of day like this Minnesota defense has been bad, so there are there are opportunities there, but like it's it's not it's not a dynamic and exciting Giants offense. Like they're they're maximizing what they have, um. So really, like in my head, it's just it's a question of mentally, will Minnesota collapse on themselves? Because that's I think what happens in these games from time to time, and I don't like them, but I think. I think they've just got the talent level and being at home to be able to do it. Like I, I'm not sure why they survived beyond that point in the playoffs. But like, what? Someone explain the route to the Giants through here for me. Like, is it the defense picks off Cousins a couple of times, even though that's not normally even the types of mistakes that Cousins is making, and they just grind it and keep the ball out of his hands? Because I've seen Minnesota play a lot of games where they don't get a lot of possessions and they're happy to play that football as well. Like, it's boring, but they'll do it. Yeah, like, look, like these two teams played a pretty close game on Christmas Eve. So, like, I think we've seen already that these two teams weren't that far apart in, in a big game already. Now, the Giants, like, the Vikings won that because that's what they've done this year. They've won a lot of one-score games. But one big thing that's changed since then is the two offensive line injuries that the Vikings picked up uh, in Week 17. And I think you saw an immediate drop-off due to that against the Green Bay defense. And, yes, they did okay against the awful Chicago defense. But I think the Giants have kind of rounded into being interesting because like, this is a team that very much looked pretty fun in the first half of the season, had a, a pretty bad mid-season swoon. But in the back half of the season to lock up the, uh, the, the sixth seed, they actually played some pretty solid solid football including that game against the Giants so if you're looking for the route to the Giants winning I think one they have a good like a good young defensive line obviously Thibodeau's been making some impact plays in recent weeks albeit sometimes controversially um, uh, you know and I think they can get at Cousins then because the offensive line is taking a major step back Brian O'Neill major loss of right tackle missing your starting center huge loss there um, so if they can get to Kirk Cousins we know that under pressure he is more than capable of making big mistakes and throwing the ball away he's a guy who when he gets into a rhythm is a good quarterback like I know 
you know, we, we don't like Cousins as quarterback uh, on this podcast, but when he's playing well, he is a good quarterback. But when you get him off rhythm, things look bad. And the Minnesota defense, it's just bad. It's just bad, bad, bad. And pretty much any offense, I think, is capable of putting up 20-plus points in this defense. Um, and I think, you know, Daniel Jones has had a solid, like, three or four games to end the season. Um, and you've kind of seen some um, coming together in terms of the offensive weapons, like uh, Darius Slayton and Richie James have looked okay. Like, it's not a world-beating offense, but this is not a world-beating defense. So I think they can put up points. And if Saquon Barkley can get going, all the better for this New York Giants offense. So, look, I, I think both these teams are incredibly flawed but for very different reasons and a very different um, you know, points in terms of their development as overall franchises. But, you know, I think there's definitely a right here for a, a Giants team, which I think is slowly has been eking up in the back half of the season. And for a Minnesota team suddenly seeing one of its strengths, the offensive line, take a major hit, that the Giants could sneak a win here and get the job done. But, you know, I think both these teams, because they're so flawed, it's very difficult to get a read on what's the best read here for who could win. Come, John, tell us about why you love Kirk Cousins. Look, look, we all know how this Viking season is going to end. They're going to get blown out by 40 points by the Niners or the Cowboys or maybe the Eagles if they they get lucky. They're not going to go out to a close game against the New York Giants because they're really good at winning close games and the Giants are not the kind of team that can exploit the Vikings' weaknesses. The, the Giants are a well-coached team that knows how to make use of its pieces, but... In a game like that, that is, that is a scenario in which the Vikings can similarly do similar things with the pieces that they have. It's, uh, I mean, they have enough talent in, you know, players like Jefferson and Cook that they're going to be able to keep pace with the, the scoring that the Giants can do. And then they've, they've shown this season that they're capable of winning close games. And I don't think that the Giants' offense is quite good enough to expose all the ways in which this Vikings defense has weaknesses. So I, I think there's a way this is... this. I just don't think the Giants are a talented enough team to... to the the Vikings are very good at winning games against teams that don't have a lot going for them. They're very good at grinding games out. And I think the Giants fitted into that mold a little bit. The fact that the Vikings beat the Giants by three points uh, eight, with kind of a last-second field goal or whatever, I mean, that that's exactly it's probably going to happen again. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think the Vikings are going to get things going things done when 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 needs to be done i'm i the vikings season is going to end next week uh against the 49ers or in two weeks time against eagles or cowboys or something it's not going to end here because these are the kind of games that the vikings win and i just don't trust danny dimes to be the the reincarnation um of eli manning or something like that like, like that giant scene went on a run had a lot of secretly really talented players in them and that this new york giants team does not have a lot of secretly really talented players in them <laughs> well, well I'm only uh, like you, you wouldn't know because it'd be secret right <laughs> I'm, I'm only true, picking them to beat the the Vikings, not win the Super Bowl. Okay, like like I like I'm just giving you. Know, the no, 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 no. We 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 could read in between the lines there, Fitz. Say your Super Bowl uh, pick. We understand. No, Seattle are going to win the Super Bowl. Everyone knows that. No, no, it's a <laughs> cha- championship game between Seattle and the New York Giants, obviously, right? Um, yeah, we'll look at the next one then is Baltimore at Cincinnati. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board. Again, question marks over quarterback. Lamar has been very public in stating that he's going to come back and play, but apparently people close to the organization and within the organization believe slightly differently that maybe he's not as close as he likes to represent. So then will it be Huntley? Will it be Brown? Those obviously have negative effects from Burrow and company will be hoping to come in hot and, uh, 
kind of you know get themselves going but they have problems as we mentioned they have offensive line issues so you know this is a difficult Baltimore defense uh, I was just seeing now that they've agreed in principle with uh, Roquan Smith to make him the highest paid off ball linebacker he's got a five year hundred million dollar deal with about 60 million of that guaranteed coming in so they are Banking on their defense being able to be the difference maker here, even though it's missing a couple of pieces. Um, Baltimore looked to get the run game established early and often. Can the Cincinnati defense hold it? Maybe they have been a bit better of late. Um, but yeah, like I think the key, like obviously we all think Cincinnati are going to win this. There is, this is the thing, there is a route for Baltimore. You can see a route for Baltimore more so than you could see like a route for Miami here, where it is, if their defense really hammers home and kind of doesn't give them time in the pocket, we've seen that this Bengals team looks very different when they can't protect Burrow. Um, and if they can stop the run game, then, you know, this this could end up being a real AFC North style matchup of just being an absolute slog fest. Now, in my head, my expectation is that won't happen. Cincinnati will be able to work around these issues, and I think that they should win healthily by two scores. Like, But I can see a scenario in which Baltimore win, which is a bit different from some of the other ones. Like, What do you guys think? Well, I mean, you know, we, we did think this Ravens team was good in the first half of the season, and they probably they threw away a couple of, of losses quite early on, and otherwise they would have been started like 7-0 and or something. So there is talent in this team, and, and certainly on the defensive side, that talent is still there and still functional. But, I mean, if you want to talk about momentum and you want to talk about which teams, you know, are, are in the right headspace, it's got to, the, the Bengals are in a much better place in terms of the, solving the problems that have, they've been set building this thing we called identity, having a sense of who they are and how they played. The Bengals had a slow start to the season, but since then they've they've really come into their own and it surprised me by how much they've been able to play at a, at the level of a Super Bowl caliber team. I thought last season was a bit of a flash in the pan. I'll admit they just went on a run and I didn't think it was replicable, but Burrow has stepped into, he's, you know, he's, he's turned into Joe Montana, you know, and been able to be the guy who wins, you know, get, scores those fourth quarter late fourth quarter uh, drives he's got a great pieces around him in, in chase and uh, mixon and um, uh, and t higgins the defense is really the o-line which was the huge problem has stepped up big in, in after some early shakes now obviously cap is missing so there might be some issues there but they're, they're definitely not the o-line that they were last year and the o-line last year was still good enough for them to get to the or the the pieces uh, apart from the O line were still good enough for them to get to the Super Bowl last year, so it's not something you'd have to to worry uh, about. The Cincinnati defense is solid all round. The the secondary is not as strong as it could be because it's missing some some key injuries, but there, there's a there's you know there's a lot of talent there as well. So you feel that the the Bengals are a complete team and they've been playing like a complete team for you know five or six weeks now, where the Ravens. Their season's actually gotten worse as things are going along. They've, they, they've had a couple of bad losses. They had a you know a really horrible game against the Broncos. I remember a few weeks back where they were just kind of kind of putting along. Obviously, they've got this quarterback issue. Even if Lamar is back, is he necessarily going to be completely fit? I wouldn't trust Huntley in, in, in a position to, to win a playoff game against a team as good as the Bengals. I just don't think the... The Ravens can't just rely on their defense to win this game because the Bengals have both a good offense, a good offense that is capable of beating good defense, but they also have a, a good defense on their own side. So even if the Ravens manage to, to grind the Bengals down to, say, scoring 16 points, 
can the, can their offense actually keep pace even with that kind of score? So I I, I think there are just too many issues on the Ravens side uh, of of the field for them to be able to beat what is a very good and very hot Bengals team right now. Yeah, something's just off with the the Ravens, right? Like I've talked about this in the previous weeks, but the whole Lamar situation is just off, right? And the Roquan Smith uh, extension, obviously big success there, at least on the defense, also means that they do now have the uh, franchise tag available to use on Lamar uh, rather than Roquan Smith. That kind of simplifies things down to a certain extent, but it's pretty obvious that Lamar is not happy. He wasn't happy to not get paid in the offseason. And, you know, now that they've been down the stretch and they needed Lamar to maybe make a push for the AFC uh, North, which they only were a game or two out of, um, he just doesn't exist right now. Like, all the updates from John Harbour are like, I don't know, uh, we'll see. Like, and the whole relationship there just seems to be a little bit off. So, like, I suppose there is a world where Lamar comes back, he's pissed off, uh, and he wants to make a lot of money. And so he plays like MVP Lamar and goes to town on a Cincinnati defense, which has overperformed its talent level, but, you know, its talent level isn't that high. Um, you know, they've got some young players overperforming there, but, you know, certainly exploitable there if you had full force with Lamar going there. But right now, given how um, Brown was played in the last week of, of the Baltimore Ravens game season, you know, I think the expectation from the team is probably that Huntley's the most likely quarterback uh, this weekend. So just with all that level of confusion, it's impossible for us to really pick Baltimore in this game. Uh, and even if Lamar comes back, given all of that context, you don't know. He, he had, he's had a solid season, but he hasn't looked quite himself either. And given the complete paucity of wide receiver talent they have there, like they're rolling out the Marcus Robinson and Deshaun Jackson as their top wide receivers, and they're basically making no production outside of the occasional splash play. You know, Mark Andrews has been better, but he's still not quite the guy he was um, uh, you know, at the start of the season, uh, you know, Isaiah likely is at least making some impact there. And I think, like, if if the Baltimore Ravens are going to win, it's almost certainly going to have to go through their traditional run game. Like Gus Edwards might be out here, but J.K. Doggins has come back and be pretty solid. Kenyon Drake has had some splash games in the season so far, so like there is a right to victory there, given that their defense is so good. But they haven't scored over twenty points. I know, sorry, they've only scored over twenty points once in the last eight weeks. That gives you an indication of where this offense is without Lamar and even with Lamar earlier in that period. Um, it's just not working. It's just not there. They're just very one-dimensional. It's just yeah, it's just off really. And Cincinnati's defense, while you know not the best in the league, and certainly we tested more by the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills, I think has enough to keep both Baltimore to another low-scoring game. So really, unless Baltimore's defense plays out of its mind, which is definitely possible, and holds Cincinnati down. I don't really see a right for Baltimore to win this game. So as you say, unless it's a tough, grindy AFC North classic. And inverted commas, Cincinnati all the way. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, like I, I'm expecting Cincinnati to take it. They are the better team here. Uh, it's just more you can, like, it's not quite as, you know, Miami, Buffalo, I think, as uh, as other instances can be. And that brings us to our late night. Uh, I think it only started last year, wasn't it? The introduction of the Monday night wildcard game. Uh, Dallas at Tampa Bay. I've gone for Tampa Bay and you boys have gone for Dallas. Um, like Dallas are coming into the playoffs, we'll say maybe uh, not as hot as they had been towards the tail end of the season there. Tom Brady and Tampa Bay are coming in after kind of kind of getting their offense back together the last couple of games um now they've not been exactly world beaters but they're here they're they've punched their ticket for the dance as they say and he's refound his connection with evans like hopefully that will be able to be something they can capitalize against this frankly kind of shaky defensive back situation in dallas like the linebackers are great, so that's going to cause an issue for Tampa Bay getting their run game going, I think. But, like, 
this is this is a secondary that can be thrown on if they can get there. The the question is basically, Tom Brady is still able to make the throws, but it's a question of timing because there's going to be a lot of pressure coming on to him from the from the, from the Dallas front seven. So can they just get that going without the run game in and support? Now for Dallas, obviously Tampa Bay's defense have been good against the run. Can they get that established early? Because and this is why I'm going Tampa Bay in this. I can't shake the feeling that Dak Prescott is going to completely fuck this up. Like, he has a tendency to throw picks, and particularly at the worst time, and I just got a feeling he's going to throw two or three picks in this game and just going to make a mess of it. Yeah, like, look, Dallas are, you know, obviously got lots more talent. They've had overall a much more successful season. Like, they're right up there in terms of record with the teams who won their divisions, the Eagles, the uh, 49ers, and uh, the like. Um, so you know really good season overall but yet it's hard not to look at the back end of the season and see you know every week one and more like slight issue emerge one and more chink in the armor start emerge as you mentioned Dak Prescott he's been throwing I think interception in every game for the last seven games he's had a number of games where he's looked just bad he's had other games where he's like at least put up solid yardage and points and the, the team has scored a, a lot of points albeit those games, the games tended to be the ones where the run game uh, between Pollard and, and Zeke actually got going um so it's just like Dak has just been a little bit off I don't know what's quite wrong there he's obviously this incredibly talented quarterback um, the injury stuff should be really behind him at this point, but I don't know. The whole thing is just a little bit off, and the defense, which during at uh, one point the season looked like one of the best in the league, has also fallen off a bit. I think the injuries to the secondary, not to the, the top guys like Trayvon Diggs, but just to the rest of it, it's really. I think you've seen teams been able to exploit that, and I think you, you know, the lack of interior pressure and you know the more and more reliance on Lawrence. And, and Parsons to kind of make the big splash plays has meant that teams have been able to get yards. People have been able to make big plays against this defense. And the whole thing just feels a little bit off. And of course, you have to remember the context here where, you know, Mike McCarthy's made the playoffs two years in a row, but there's hard not to ignore the reports that if Mike McCarthy were to go one and done again, um, that he might be out, out of here and Sean Payton brought in or some other big name brought in by Jerry Jones, who's not noted for being a particularly patient guy. And so the whole thing just feels like a huge pressure cooker for the Dallas Cowboys. And it's all about how they react to that. Um, but I think overall, in terms of talent, in terms of, of, of who they have, like they should win this game. They have a defense with enough splash plays that they should be able to, to make Tom Brady's life difficult and force him into a lot of skittish early throws. That's basically his problem this season. Um, and their offense is talented enough to take on a you know a Tampa Bay defense, which has mostly been pretty meh and definitely underperformed the level of talent that they have. So I'm willing to pick Dallas here. But yeah, I think you're right. Like Tampa Bay definitely have more than a puncher's chance here. Here because this Dallas team just has a like weird vibes about them. The only problem for Tampa Bay is that their vibes have been pretty much off the entire season. Yes, they had one game where they beat Carolina by having three deep touchdowns to Mike Evans, but if you take away that, literally the rest of the offense of I put has been pretty pathetic and pretty sad. And they're just a kind of yeah, it just do- doesn't feel like Tom Brady wants to be there anymore. This is like his last hurrah. Maybe he can pull out the magic one last time, but I'm not really feeling it myself in this game. Yeah, see, this is my issue. We can talk about all the problems that the Cowboys have been having and how they, they kind of the momentum has gone, but, but the Bucks have been pretty terrible this year. I mean, all round pretty terrible. There have been flashes here and there, and Tom, has, when he's been in the mood, has, has been Tom Brady. But, I mean, the, the defense, which is, you know, elite in many ways, especially on the run side, has not been up to its normal standards. The wide receivers have been dropping passes all year. I mean, they, they, they have a losing record, and 
the the Cowboys have won what twelve games or something. I mean, it's it's. I find it hard that to even that we're really even having this conversation about the difference between them because it's clear that the Bucks are a team that are at least a year, if not two years, past past you know their prime whereas the cowboys have a lot of really good pieces all around i mean they've, they've got they've got the the run game you got the, the two-headed run game they've got some very good wide receivers jack has been up and down but he on his on his day he's quite a good player they've got you know the, on on the defensive side they got people like micah parsons they've got trayvon diggs when he's you know uh, in the mood it's it feels to me as if this this cowboys team is is on in terms of talent and also in terms of the way the season has gone, are just a better team. Now, are the only way I can really see this going the other way is if Tom Brady decides to have one of his, you know, playoff runs for the ages where he's like, you know, single-handedly scoring 40 points uh, in every game. But uh, I haven't seen it this season and I don't know if the wide receivers are up to it. And I just, I have no reason, I've, I've had no reason this season to really trust that the Bucks are going to do anything at all in the playoffs, where at least the Cowboys have shown me at their peak that they're a really good team that's competing, capable of competing at the top end. Now, obviously, their floor seems to be quite a bit lower than we thought it was, but that doesn't mean that their, their ceiling isn't as high as we thought it was. So for me, I think the Cowboys have more potential here, and they, they certainly, uh, uh, you know, should be able to realize that. Now, again, you know, all the caveats about the, the Cowboys in the playoffs and Mike McCarthy uh, as a coach, et cetera, et cetera. I do think the Cowboys are going to fuck it up at some point. I just don't think that a, a team like the, the Bucks are the ones to stop them. And as I said, uh, coming into this now, at the end of this game, either Tom Brady or the Dallas Cowboys as a franchise will have their 36th playoff win. <laughs> so... That's yeah. motivation enough for Brady, you might say. Yeah. I think so, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so that's where we are on those then. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting state. We've unfortunately got one or two that I think are going to be a bit one-sided. Uh, but a couple, well, couple it's the seventh ones. seed problem again, right? Both yeah. of the games of the second seed against seventh. The seventh seed is, I still maintain, not good usually. In, we've had like six of them so far, three on in each conference. And no, none of those six teams I could have said, oh, the playoffs would not have been good without them. Had the Lions made it, I'd be, I'd be, you know, finally yeah. be willing to be an advocate for seventh seed. But the seventh seed, they're not, they're not playoff teams. They're not playoff yeah. caliber teams. Although I suppose it's probably more so than for the playoffs. It's the, it's, it's the keeping more teams live into the last week of the season. I suppose it's, it's, it's what keeps the Lions live. If there was six, only six slots, there was no reason. Yeah. 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 But no, um, no, very good. So any, any plans of yourselves for the, for the rest of the week, the weekend? Uh, not a tremendous amount. It's yeah, kind of been busy the last few weeks, so it's kind of a quieter one for a while. Sit back and uh, yeah, watch some NFL and yeah, it's the time. It's the time of year for sitting at home and and watching good things on TV. I think. Yeah, I think so as well. I've, uh, I, I was initially planning a, a trip up to Donegal, but uh, in combination of our, uh, our, our dog minder falling ill and my car suspension deciding it doesn't want to work anymore, I've uh, put put stop to that. So the car's going in for a service next week that uh, I've been told will fix the problem of the absolutely horrifying noise it makes whenever I try and take corners. Yeah, like Sean's got to save his energy for the big sty weekend at the end of January. So, it's true. It's yeah, got to get those reps in, you know. Be serious <laughs> now, serious. Got to get get your practice on. Uh, are 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 your team Liverpool? I take from that conversation earlier are not in the running then for the for the for the Premiership this year. No, they're not going to win the league. That's for sure. They're they might make the top four, but even that's looking a bit dicey at the moment. So, 
Okay. I don't really know uh, what they should. They yeah, I don't know what they should be aiming for. It kind of feels like a lost season already, and it's you know not even half over yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, very good. What are yourself? It's any plans? Yeah, nothing too exciting. Probably just uh, watch the football. Uh, maybe go see Avatar if I have the time. Mm. Don't think so. Who 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 is the time for an eight-hour-long film though? <laughs> <laughs> like twelve-hour films are just ridiculous, you know. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, sure. Look, that'll wrap us up for now. Obviously, a bit of exciting times, and uh, looking forward to then next week when we get Philly and Kansas City back into the mix. But uh, for now, I suppose it's uh, bye for myself, bye from Sean, bye, bye from Roland, bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. <laughs>